Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jungle room. I needed a little taste of that. Can't be no fool. Little taste. Like a contortionist, late in the Porsche, my father driving. Things been sunny since I started rhyming. No denying me, I'm known to keep a fresh foot like podiatry. Nobody hires me. And welcome to another edition of the Summer Preview Series. This is part four, Central Division. Uh, I'm James Holis, aka Snotty Drippin of B-Ball Breakdown Infamy. Um, so, yeah, so far we've covered, uh, we got the Southwest, the Southeast, and now we're back over here in the East again, and we're doing the Central Division. And I'm joined, uh, what I said, when I do the team, I think that's the most intriguing, a team that probably, you know, that everyone's kind of been talking about. And the Bulls had a really interesting offseason. They had a tough season last year, uh, and they, they lost one legend, as far as Chicago legend, when Derrick Rose went off to New York. And then they got back the the other Chicago Wade came back in town. So uh, they were disappointed last year. Uh, I think Fred Hoiberg has he has a workout for him this year. Uh, and to discuss it all, I'm joined by my man Vincent Goodwill of CSNChicago.com. He's our, our Bulls insider. Vincent, what's up, man? Oh man. Oh, you. I think you're breaking up a little bit, man. But I th- we'll be fine. Yeah. We'll get you on here, man. Yeah, I got you. I got you. We're good. Uh, yes, sir. Oh, I'm going to see if I can step to a better area. Can you hear me? Oh, I can hear you all right, man. How about you? You can hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I can hear you just fine. All right. We're good, then. We're good. Hey, technical difficulties happen. We're going we're gonna to persevere and push through them. No big deal. So before we even get into the, the, the Central Division, we got to touch on something we both saw on Twitter today. Uh, I was asking questions. Uh, it started with Tony Parker and his 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 record in the Olympics and his his position as a, an elite point guard, all time great. I started asking questions. And I asked something about Gary Payton, and there are people who are saying, actually questioning the great point guards who I say are Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, uh, Jason Kidd. You know, those are the all stocks in these point guards, and I had people tweeting me questioning if Isaiah Thomas and Zeke belonged in that top group. And they're like, ah, oh, he's more, Zeke is more with, you know, Gary Payton, Tony Parker. He's on, he's like a good, but not great point guard. Now I got a feeling you got something to say about this. So I'm going to, I'm going to step back and give you the floor. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, <laughs> this is, this is insanity that we're talking here. Snotty about Isaiah Thomas being in any, other class besides the class with Magic Johnson and Oscar Robertson and himself. Like, that's the holy trinity of point guards. And I understand that basically next to great quarterbacks in sports, I can't think of a single position that has as much depth as point guards do. So I, so I understand that the Jason Kidds and the GPs and the Stocktons and all these other guys they sort of have a, a seat at the table, but at the head of the table, 
I, I wonder if people really understand how great that young man is. I know that the advanced statistics uh, don't necessarily look upon him kindly for what, whatever reason, but when you look at the way that the Pistons played and the Giants that Isaiah had to slay back then, like forget the just the two championships and everything else, uh, I think if you if we're just going to look at it from a statistical standpoint and we're going to not look at 19 points, nine assists for your, for his career or, you know, 20 and 10 uh, for the first decade, if we're not going to look at that and we're going to look at the shooting percentages and, and not factor in the way the, the game was played back then compared to now, you know, I think we're really doing – I think we're really doing him a disservice. I think we're doing the game a disservice by judging him based off of today's metrics. You have to judge players off of metrics by the time that they were playing. That's like saying Larry Bird wasn't or isn't a great three-point shooter because the three-point shot wasn't as prevalent back in the 80s. But if he played in this game now, he would be, you know, he would be launching 7-8 a game and – looking Stephen Curry-ish, so so to speak. They're not necessarily exactly like, but you understand my point. So when people bring up the shooting percentages and stuff like that, Isaiah had the task of leading the team without a second, oh, a second true superstar, but having to keep a lot of those guys fed and confident to where he had to sort of take a step back statistically sometimes to let those guys cook. But then be good enough and be in, in enough of a rhythm to where if they needed a 20-point quarter from him, they got it. So think of in today's game, think of the, the scoring prowess of Kyrie Irving and think of the floor leadership of Chris Paul. And you combine those two guys together. If you think about, if you think about the biggest criticism of Kyrie Irving is, well, he doesn't set his teammates up. He's not a floor leader. He can't, he, he, he can't run the team and be a, a scorer at the same time. And you think about some mm-hmm. of the things that people have said about Chris Paul, aside from not getting out of the second round, is, He's almost too careful. He 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 won't turn the ball or he won't turn the ball over because he won't take risks or he won't really take over a game. If you combine right. those two things, that's Isaiah Thomas. The the strengths relative to those other guys' weaknesses, that's Isaiah. That's the only way that I can put it is if Kyrie Irving, if you put Kyrie Irving and you put Chris Paul together, that's what you have. And not Gary Payton, not Jason Kidd, certainly not John Stockton. Nobody else can compare to that. Not even really Magic Johnson because he came into the league and won championships before he hit his prime. He won a championship as a rookie. He won another championship as a third-year player. It's very rare that those type of Hall of Fame guys, those top-tier guys, win championships, multiple championships, before they hit their prime. So he came into the league a couple (laughs) of steps ahead by playing with the teams that he played with. Isaiah had to go to a team that didn't have anything, no tradition, no foundation, no nothing, and had to build it from the ground up. So, you know, trust me, we can get to a whole greater discussion and all that, but I just wanted to get that out of there. If you got a problem, just go look at game six of the uh, the 88 finals, and and he put up 43 on a bad ankle being guarded by guys who are six, seven inches taller. That's all I got to say. It, it does frustrate me when I see people say stuff like, you know, a Larry Bird would be Chandler Parsons in today's NBA. I'm like, no, let's just don't 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 be ridiculous. Uh, Larry Bird, if you right. just watch him, he, the man was a, a, a freak of nature who could shoot from literally anywhere. And just because he didn't shoot seven threes a game 
you know, oh, well, he only shot one or two a game, so his percentage would drop as he shot more. Well, I mean, Stephen Curry's doing it. You know, his percentage is high while the, his, his volume is high. Don't act like Stephen Curry's the only one who could do it because, I mean, we've seen Larry Bird just do some freakish kind of things. So I'm, I'm with you on that, man. Uh, Zeke, to me, is definitely, you know, a top three, top four, top five kind of point guard, and he is lead group. And the step, you know, the step below that is the Hall of Famers, who are still really good, but he's definitely up there with me, man. Um, the battles he had with Chicago were were literally legendary. You know, Michael Jordan had to run yeah. through those Pistons to get to where he was at. And we fast forward to now. See that little segue? You like that one? Chicago. Yeah, um, I like that. Chicago is smart. Yeah. If we're saying a team in transition, that's putting very kindly. Uh, after, you know, for years, ever since, you know, 2010, 2011, when Vinny Donegal was there, they, they were still a tough playoff team. And Coach Thibodeau took them to the next level. Derrick Rose won his MVP. And Chicago's one of the Eastern elites. Um, last year, I, I will admit, I thought they'd be in the playoffs. I didn't think they would fall off the way they did fall off last year. Uh, injuries happened, of course, but uh, I don't know if Tibbs might have just lo- not lost the locker room, but maybe his style had a shelf life because we saw the defense start falling off a cliff. Um, and then they brought in a new coach last year, and you know we saw what happened last year. Uh I see this as almost like in, in forest in forestation, you got to clear some of the the old brush out to let the new brush spring up. So Rose <laughs> is gone, uh, Noah's gone, Powell went off to San Antonio, and there's some interesting youth here too. Um, I see uh, we have Miritich, Dougie Buckets, Portis, Valentine. I really like Paul Zipser. So you're over at CSN Chicago, and I was watching your interview. You had a great interview with uh, Coach Hoyberg over there. So everyone out there, if you're listening, go check out cnschicago.com and find the interview that Goodwill did with Coach Hoyberg. It's real good stuff, about 10 minutes long. Worth the time, definitely. Um, one thing that really stood out to me, though, he compared, in a way, he was saying, uh, adding that, adding Rondo and Dwayne Wade this summer, he compared it to when Latrell Sprewell and Sam Gassell joined Kevin Garnett in Minnesota. <clears throat> Now, I love Jimmy Butler. I love Dwayne Wade. I'm not I'm not right now. How did you not look at Coach Horbert when he said that and said, are you insane? Help me put that in some perspective. <laughs> okay. When I first heard it, I probably had – I'm not sure if the camera was panned to me and maybe they didn't pan it to me uh, because of my facial reaction. <laughs> it might have been sort of similar <laughs> to your vocal reaction. But I think he meant it in a terms of a practical in terms of a uh, practical way as opposed to just comparing okay MVP KG compared to you know Spree World that still got something left and Sam Cassell who always had an old man game. I don't think he was necessarily saying it in that way. I think he was saying it as Kevin Garnett had to been alone basically uh, as a star player. Now varying degrees of, of star at that point compared to Jimmy. But bringing in two veterans, two adults, to the locker room, and by adult, I basically mean Dwayne Wade. And I I think they're saying the influence of that. Not necessarily the way it's going to feel in the basketball court because you had point guard, wing, wing big type of thing. This one, you've got basically three perimeter players. And I think he was trying to say in context was that that team started off slow. They didn't come out the gate very fast. They didn't come out the gate with the best record in the Western Conference, but once they hit their stride, they had the best record. Uh, I think they had the best record in the West, and I think Indiana had the best record in the league in 2004, if I'm not mistaken. I think he was saying, I think he was trying to sort of tacitly warn us that 
this team, once they hit the floor, it's going to take a little time for it to gel. But if they can gel, when they gel, you know, maybe they can go on sort of a run, not necessarily 61 wins, but they can go on a run that can sort of solidify the vision that the front office and that Hoiberg has and putting those three guys together. Because when you look at it, I'm just as curious as anybody else is to honestly see how this works. Like there is no, there's no blueprint for anything like this. There's no blueprint for three bog dominant guards, basically, including a guard who's getting older, who, who will be 35, including another guard who can't shoot and both guards can't shoot. Uh, theory. I mean, Rondo shot, I think, 37 from three last year. But yeah, but we know. In terms of we how know. it – but, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. But, you know, the, the number – if you're still going to leave him open. In terms of – if you're going to give Jimmy the lane or give Dwayne Wade the mid-range compared to giving Rondo a three from the wing or the top of the key, you're going to lay off and go and, and slide that extra, that extra foot down to help or be ready to help. For sure. So those sure. numbers, of course – can be can be skewed but going back to Fred and of course it's always wishful thinking he is sort of he's a positive coach he's not one of these coaches who believes that the sky is falling he's not he's not like in Detroit we called Chuck Daly the prince of pessimism you know the sky was always falling and everything happened so when they won it was a relief but Hoiberg is not like that he's a very optimistic guy so when he he's looking for a point of reference I think that was the easiest thing that he could point to and say we added two veterans to a young, in his prime, Kevin Garnett, who hadn't yet figured it out completely. And then he put it together when aided by these two guys. Not necessarily how they feel in the basketball court, but in terms of attitude, in terms of habits, in terms of relating to teammates and things like that. Whether it happens or okay. not remains to be seen. Okay. I'll give, I mean, if we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt with that one because we know we know what KG was. And that's fine. We can't say it's an Definitely. apples to apple comparison. That's fine. That's fine. No, it's not. Now, here's the question. KG was a superstar, <laughs> a superstar of the highest order. Super duper star. Yes, sir. So let me ask you this, man, uh, because my my biggest misgiving about this, the Bulls this year, sure, things didn't go great with Rose and he's gone and I know it may have been time to move on. I would have been fine with everything if if they just got Wade and hadn't brought in Rondo. And I guess they didn't know Wade would be available. I understand that happened. So, yeah. But Rondo is the the, the flying ointment to me. He's a, He is the spit and the punch for the simple fact that if you just had Wade, you had Wade and, and Butler, two guys who like to handle the ball and they can initiate the offense, boom, you can stagger them both, run them together. Um, we know that, that Butler can hit the three when his feet are set and, you know, he's not – He's not, he's not, when he's healthy, he, he, he shot pretty decently a couple years ago from three. So we know he can hit him. Right. And they could put another shoot on the floor with them in the perimeter. Hey, I'd have been happy with that. They would have been rolled out. Rondo needs the ball in his hands to be effective. He is, he's not, he's not going to play off ball. Um, he's, he's notoriously very stubborn um, and bumps heads with coaches. And so from what I've seen also with your coach, he's a very, he's a, a player's coach, kind of almost a little laid back. Jimmy, but- Jimmy Butler said himself, we need coach to coach us harder. This is can you can you talk Bulls fans off the ledge and tell them why this might work? Give me the best case scenario. What needs to happen for this to to come out and be at least at least effective on the court? So you mean to tell me I'm like the negotiator, like Samuel L. Jackson in the movie, trying to talk people off off the ledge and all that type of stuff? That's what you, that's what you want me to do? Grab your megaphone, man, and step up. 
you, they got a list of de- they got a list of demands, and their 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 toes are hanging off the ledge, man. They're crying, you know, nose running. This looks bad. Tell tell yeah, I want you to tell them why it won't be so bad. Give them the silver lining. Give them the sunniest outlook you can. Well, here's what I will say, and and on paper, I would almost agree with you if the order of operations had flipped. Like if you if they got weighed in a bag and then go get Rondo, I'm like, okay, I wonder how this fits. Because I would have said, you can go get a Brandon Jennings or you can go get a Darren yes. Williams, right? You know, even yep. a diminished Darren Williams might theoretically, might theoretically be a better fit just because he's a better shooter who doesn't want the who doesn't want the ball. Now he needs the ball, but he don't want it. And there's a difference, Correct. You know what I'm saying? Some guys want it and don't need it. Some guys need it and don't want it. That type of thing. Darren, Darren to me is that type of guy who might be better off as like a spot up shooter at this stage of his career. And one could argue that that's the best fit for playing with a guy like Jimmy and a guy like Derek. The flip side Correct. to that is, the flip side to that is that you, maybe you don't get Dwayne Wade if Rondo isn't there. Because from what everything that I understood is that Jimmy was recruiting him and Rajan was recruiting him as well. And when you're talking mm. about a guy leaving Miami, when you're talking about a guy leaving Miami and leaving what he built and him being the adult in the room, so to speak, and you're saying, okay, come to Chicago where there's a lot of questions. You know, yes, yeah, Jimmy's team, but there's, you know, 10 guys or three years or less. You know, do I really want to completely start over with no help in the locker room, with no help, with nobody else with championship experience? And if Rondo's there, players a lot of times don't look at it the way we do. They look at it as give me good players and we'll figure it out. We look at it as media fans, observers, we look at it as, well, you can't have three guys who can't shoot on the floor. And they're looking at it as give me a good player, We'll figure, you know, we're smart enough to figure it out. I've gone against Rondo in playoff series. That dude is a beast. He's a scrapper. I don't care that he can't shoot per se. He hit big shots against us when they counted, which Rondo did. Now, okay. so, can let me ask that, you this. Can that skew? Go ahead. Let me ask you this. Is And this is just, we don't have to take too long on it. I really want to know. Do okay. you feel that Rajon Rondo is a good player in 2016? Because I think I think the assist that can sort of be overrated, predicated on how much you hold the ball. But here's the problem: I think I do think though that in a good environment with expectations and adults in the room, I think he can be a good player because that's where Wade can help Rondo out because Wade can call Rondo out on his stuff in a way that nobody in Sacramento could. Who's the adult in the room in Sacramento (laughs) at any level? From the from the players to the sidelines to ownership front office, there's no adults. That's why it okay. never works. So here's my here's my here's my rebuttal to that. Here's here's okay. my rebuttal to that. There were plenty of adults in Dallas. So we've yeah, seen him the, in the but situation. The, but the head of those Rick Carlisle, but Rick Carlisle is a control freak of the highest order. That's not Hoiberg. Okay. Okay. That's all. Car- Carlisle controls that. every play. He will call every single play down to the letter. Rondo is not about that life. Hoiberg is okay. not going to call every that. single play. He don't care as long as you score. <laughs> okay. That's that's not to say it's going to work, but that's to say that it's a completely different circumstance than the last two circumstances that he's in. Add to the fact that this is his third one-year deal, basically. Like 
Mm-hmm. You can point to Dallas as a situation, you can point to Sacramento as a situation, but you don't want the permanent label on you as a guy that nobody can play with. So he's got just as much as incentive to act right and fly right as anybody else does. Yeah, okay. Uh, so so the fact that it, he's a, he is a legit NBA talent and he did get Dwayne Wade into the, into the building, you know, that might have been something that drew mm-hmm. Dwayne Wade. And again, like you said, he's not, he's not playing for – uh, Rick Carlisle, who's a, a a control freak, and he he already has had pr- kind of like two strikes. He wouldn't want this to be his third strike. <laughs> they might get it together, make it work, right? Okay, uh, you know what? That's that's very positive outlook. Um, we've already so now, that's I'm the vets we're talking being about. This a positive. Let's be perfectly honest. <laughs> but hey, it, it's something. It, 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 no, honestly, it's it's kind of hard because especially after the last season. I know a lot of Bulls fans are pretty downtrodden and, and they're pretty down the dumps right now. So it's hard to find a civil line if you got to find one place I do see them for Chicago is the youth. Uh, I really like Bob Portis. You guys got him and and Boston passed on him. You I like Denzel Boston. Valentine. I remember draft night. I remember draft night. In, you you remember? were a Boston fan. I remember draft night. You were not happy. <laughs> I, I haven't been happy the last two drafts, but that's neither here nor there. Chicago got the guys I wanted in Bobby Portis and Denzel Valentine. I did my research and I really liked Valentine. That was a great pickup. Uh, I, I did more research. I got Paul Zipser. I was like, wow, that dude, he can ball. He can flat out play. Your, your young guy, Felicio, he, he's showing mm-hmm. some potential. Darian Grant, he never got a chance really in New York. And he's, he's young. He's talented. He's a first rounder just last year. The guy can play. Even Dougie McBuckets, McDermott, I'm not that high on him. Um, he he he's shown a little scoring potential. Okay, I'm not really. But my point is, there there is some potential there. Which of these young guys do you think has has the potential to really be something and and be part of this group going forward? All of them, some of them. What do you, what do you see coming this year for the young guys? That's a, you know what, Snotty, and you're going to laugh at me when I say this. Out of all the young guys, out of all of those young guys that you named, I know what and you I said it to, I said it to Gar and Pax, I said it to Fred Hoiberg, I said to anybody who listen, the one guy who I would, who I can say, who I think will be put up, be the most consistent performer, maybe not the highest ceiling, but the most consistent performer, is Chris Felicio. Okay. Because he's got great hands. He finishes around the rim. He's low maintenance. When you look at centers today, if you don't have a top-line center, you don't get DeAndre or, or Drummond or Cousins or someone like that, and you need someone who's solid, I think Chris Felicio is an NBA starter at center. Just from what I saw from him last year, he's got great hands. I need my centers to have great hands. The one thing that Joe Kim Noah does not have is great hands. Not saying great that hands. he's better than Joe Kim Noah. No, 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 no. No, I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. I, I know how we go and hot take and everything else. I'm saying that what I want from my center is someone who can protect the rim, who's got good hands, and who can finish. I don't need my center to do much else in today's game. Can you cover baseline to baseline? I think he can do that because I, I think he's got quick <laughs> enough feet and a decent enough reaction time. Now, the problem is he's got Robin Lopez in front of him at center in the Derrick Rose, yep. and he's going to play because, you know, his, his cap number and everything else. So I wonder if the Bulls almost canceled themselves out in, in terms of that. But out of the remaining guys, 
will Bobby Portis actually play next year? He has to play, right? You would think. He has to. Bobby Portis has to play next year. But Tosh Gibson is in front of him. Tosh Gibson is yes. going to play. Nikola Mirotic is in front of him. Nico's going to play. McDermott yeah. will slide down, I think, to playing four a lot of times because they're going to play smaller. And if you get Jimmy Plant taking up minutes at three, then there's going to be fewer minutes for McDermott to actually play, although I think Butler's going to slide and play two and things like that. But how many mm-hmm. guys can realistically – how many guys can play? I don't know if Portis yeah. is going to play ten guys. Who's going to be the odd man out? It was Portis last year. I don't think it's going to be Portis this year, but it could be Portis this year. And see, you bring up a really good point. not good uh, just because of numbers. Oh, definitely. And that's why you bring up a very good point, because while I wasn't very impressed with the Bulls offseason, you just said it. And I was I spent so much time looking at what the Bulls did. And I didn't really I, now I look at it. Robin Lopez is a, is a fine NBA player. He's a starter level center. Uh, Taj yeah. Gibson, probably one of the most underrated power forwards in the league. He's not an all star. He's not even a star, but he's a very, very good power forward. And, you know, he's he's he's, yeah. he's only what, 30. So he's in his prime. He's been yeah, he's been a backup his whole career, so he's he, yeah he's almost lightly used for a thirty year old. He's a very very good player. Jimmy Butler to me to me I think is probably the second best two guard in the league. If Harden's the best is because the, the sheer weight he carries, Jimmy Butler is the second best, and Wade is was a top Ooh. five last year. Oh yeah, I, I love Clay you Thompson, say, but you he, say oh I, I'm gonna ask the question. I like it. I yeah, like no, it. no, no. I love Clay Thompson. I love Clay Thompson shooting. I love his explosiveness. He could take off and give you obviously 37 in the quarter, but he he cannot. We have not seen Clay Thompson shoulder a load like Jimmy Butler has had to had to do before, and how James Harden does it. So Clay is really he's good, and no one can argue with me about this one because if people have their preferences, that's fine. I just know what I know about basketball. Right. Clay Thompson could not do what Jimmy Butler does, and while Butler can't shoot the three like like Clay does, he's more to the table as far as ball handling, and I think even tougher defense. Clay was a little shaky on defense last year. So that's neither here nor there. My point no, is, you got to say, yeah, you got to say best. Me, I, I will, I'll say this as an aside. I'll say this as an aside. Uh-huh. The day before the season began last year, I went out. Uh, there was a writer, uh, a friend of mine in Chicago, was a national guy, and we literally right. sat at lunch and had and had this this very conversation. Jimmy Butler. Or Clay Thompson, and basically the answer we came up with was depends on what type of team I have. Six in one yes. hand, half dozen in the other. It depends on what I need. I'm gonna even say I'm not. I'm not. I'm not gonna split the difference. I'm gonna say seven and 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 five in the other for Clay because again, <laughs> one. Yes, Clay has a very very valuable skill. He can hit the three pointer at a high rate at a high volume. Um. Off the dribble, straight line drives, he's improved. He's still not a strong rebounder. Uh, he's not a creative – he's not going to be a playmaker. They play sometimes. You can say what you want, but the man can run an offense if you need him to. He rebounds like a madman when he wants to. He can defend He can defend like, you know, anywhere from some fours up to up to point guards. Clay does too, but, nah, that's neat. it's not even a discussion for me. Um, Wade, I think, last season was still a top five, six, seven shooting guard. That's a lot of talent, man. Yeah. Lopez, Gibson, Butler, Wade. That's talent. You throw Rondo at the point, even though it's not a great fit. Okay, so let's talk about it in, in the in the micro sense. How what kind of rotations have to happen? What has to happen for this to work? Besides, we all know, I mean, health is the X factor. Everything needs to be healthy. Butler is the man. I think Wade is, I mean, I think, let's just say we know it. Wade is the second best player on that team. And we're, we're going to take Rondo out of the equation, too, because we know what he's going to bring. He's going to bring a lot of assists. He wants to handle the ball. 
What is the key to success for this team this year? Well, it, it's going to – I know this is going to throw people off because it's going to harken back to a previous era, but my question always is whenever you have – whenever we get names, we get names, right, and we get youth. You know, you got 10 guys with three years or less, and you got Wade and Rondo and Butler and all these other, you know, the headliners. The question for me is, and it's going to sound very cliche, who's defending for me? Who's rebounding? Who's really getting dirty? Because I don't, I'm not necessarily worried about scoring, per se. I think Butler will start the, at, at small forward, and mm-hmm. maybe halfway into the first quarter, he'll be the two guard, because I think right. you'll want to play Dwayne Wade against second units. Against second unit shooting guards. So you get Wade to start off, and unless he has a, a hot run for a quarter or something like that, and given his age and everything else, you're going to watch his minutes anyway. So you pull him out, and then you have him as the anchor for that second unit, as that veteran for the second unit to prevent you from running Jimmy Butler 48 minutes a night. And you right. figure out the rotations from there. I think you can find – you can manufacture shooting with Miritich and McDermott and Portis, there's so many places. I think Portis has an improving stroke, and McDermott, if nothing else, will hit an open shot. My question always is, who's, who's protecting the rim? Who's rebounding? Because those were two things that, that severely were in question last year, along with effort and communication and chemistry and all these other type of things that, that, that go on, that went on at the right. lacking in. But to me, you know, defense and rebounding, especially in the East where teams are going to play a little bit bigger and defense was a problem last year. That's my biggest, that's my biggest question. Even bigger than Hoiberg as a quote-unquote coach because everybody has their questions about Fred. I, I, I think, and I don't know if you can agree with me on this one, Snotty, but I think mm-hmm. there's about six or seven really good coaches in the league, six or seven really bad ones, and a bunch of guys in the middle with, to varying degrees. So I, while uh, coaching I, is important, I don't know if that's going to be the death nail for this team. Okay, and I, I agree with you that there's, uh, you know, five or six really good ones, probably less bad ones than five or six. But the point is, most of the coaches are just kind of out, out there, you know, like 20 of the coaches yeah. are just not not that bad, not that good. Uh, they need to, you know, they don't do anything to stand out. Now, my, my take on my rebuttal of what you're saying now is that I think with a team like yours, or a team like uh, Chicago, that you know doesn't have has kind of a mismatched roster. Um, it's, it's not really vet heavy and has doesn't have a lot of those middle ground players that are that are either that are young and, and great role players. Got a lot of real youth, and then you got some some older vets and not a lot in between. I think here's where coaching would make the difference between uh, Ooh, a thirty a thirty two win a thirty two win season and a forty five win season. I think you know, and this is where hey. And a second chance to make a make a first impression, kind of like you said in in your um in your you know, on on the article you wrote. So it's it's interesting. That's a great How do, point. And this is let me hear your personal opinion on that. Do you, do you think he has the chops to get it done? That's a great question. I, here's I, I do. I think that he has the right blueprint. Theory has the right blueprint because he was a former player, because he's been a coach before, because at Iowa State. He had to take on a lot of wayward souls, so to speak, to, you know, to figure things out because nobody's really going to go to Ames, Iowa, unless they have to or they're a transfer. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that he has the right blueprint. My thing is when you plan so much and you have a vision, you got to be able to make detours. 
you got to be able to adjust on the fly, not necessarily with injuries per se, but you got to be able to adjust when situations come up, not altercations, but situations. You know what I'm saying? Too many times last year it seemed like it seems like the stuff lingered on that could have or should have been shut down a little bit sooner, and maybe that's something that comes with experience. And I think he'll be the first to tell you he didn't have a great year last year. Nobody can tell you that that he had a great year last year, and he's got four more years left on his deal, and he's being paid like a top-tier coach, is he not? So he, is. he, he should is. have expectations that are commiserate to his salary, that are commiserate to, let's be honest, or and you might not know this, there's a few teams that really wanted Fred Hoiberg before the Bulls did last season, or right around the same time. They just had openings before the Bulls formally fired Thibodeau and hired him. There were teams right. who really were after him. So it's not like they just picked this guy off the turnip truck, and you can sort of question the alliances and allegiances and, you know, things like that. I'll always, I'm always curious about coaching searches. Who else did you bring in? Who else do you talk to as opposed to having a guy set in, in stone? But that's something mm-hmm. he's going to have to basically face if this thing doesn't work. But he doesn't. is his ego big enough to where he can't submerge it to deal with Rondo and Wade? Yeah, I'm sure he can. But does he have a strong enough hand to keep a firm hand on everything before it goes haywire? You know what I'm saying? And that's right. where, you know, he missed the Joe Kim Noah last year in the locker room. He desperately missed the Joe Kim Noah in the locker right. room. And they're so, yeah, that type he, of person. He, he needs to walk that fine. It's a fine line to walk, and we'll see if he can walk it between being strong enough, like you said, to not let things out of the hand and say, hey, I'm the coach. This is what we're doing. But it can't be about ego where where it ends up to be a battle of wills because the player is going to always win that, right? right? The, the million-dollar players are always going to win that. So it's interesting to see, man. Um, so here's the thing. Last year, missed the playoffs. They went 42 and 40. Give me, a, give me your prognosis for this year. How you think they're going to end up? Okay, you're gonna laugh because I uh-huh. have, I think they have, I think they have a, a low ceiling and a high floor. Okay, <laughs> if that, if that makes, makes sense. sense. I think, I think they'll finish not factoring in injuries because Jimmy Butler has missed 15 or so games in each of the last two seasons. We all know okay. Dwayne Wade's probably going to miss some games here and there, but I would venture the Bulls finish anywhere between 38 and 44. And 44 and 38, I think that's basically the lowest that they'll go. To the, if they finish at 46, I'll be, I will be, if I was a Bulls fan, I'd be pleasantly surprised. If they finish at 48, okay. I'd be shocked. But I think they'll be somewhere between 38, 40, and 43, 42, 44 wins next season. A playoff burst, and, and let's see what happens. So you think they're making the playoff? That was my next question. Yeah, if if you, I mean, 44, 44 usually gets you in. 44, so this 42 be... usually gets, 42 usually gets you in. 38, not so much, but I, I think they'll, they'll be, I think they'll be closer to 44, maybe even 45 than 38. I, I just put that there just as a, as a disclaimer on, on the CD in case you hear some cussing on it. <laughs> you're right last year the detroit was ac with 44 and 38 so so all right uh, i'm going to go on the record and say i think that they're going to miss this year uh I, and not because of lack of effort i think jimmy butler is going to be great uh, i think Wade's going great i don't know how ronald's going to fit man I, that's, that's going to bother me until i see it 
But I think they're all going to play hard. Your young boys going to step up. I just think the injuries, I think Wade's going to miss probably, uh, you know, 15 to 20. I think they're going to miss it the wrong time, and they're going to just barely miss it. I think they'll, yeah, probably about 40 wins this year. That's just me. Honestly, I can't argue with your logic. You know, and I'm not saying anything too dissimilar. And I I think sometimes basically the difference between 38 and 44 is health, a game here or there that you you shouldn't lose, that you got no business losing compared to a game you got no business winning. I I think the margins are that close, and especially in the East where – you know, there's a bunch of teams in the middle. Aside from Cleveland, Toronto, Boston, you got a bunch of teams that can finish anywhere from four to ten. In my opinion, anywhere between four You're to right. ten, that wouldn't surprise me. I can't argue with you about that. Now, I, I, and last thing we'll say about Chicago before we move on, my dream lineup, and I'm gonna ask you this too. My dream lineup, I want to see Jimmy Butler, James, uh, Dwayne Wade, uh, Isaiah Cannon. And Miritich at four and Bobby Porras at five. I want to see that lineup and go. Let's see how many how many points that lineup can put up, because you got Wade and Butler attacking the boards, and then you got you got a shooter out of the point guard, and you got those two active big men in there. So that's that'd be fun to see. What 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 do you think your favorite your favorite lineup is going to be this season? That's a great. You know what? I never thought about it that way. That that could be it. It could be especially if you're going to maximize. Especially if we're going to maximize shooting, you you probably have that backcourt with, with Wade Butler and Cannon. I will mm-hmm. probably I'll probably put Taj because I need a little bit of rebounding and Porter's because I think he can step out enough. If Miritich, now fun, if Miritich plays well, then all bets are off, right? If he really plays well, fun. then then that that would be fun. But you know, I still need Taj because I still need that toughness on the interior. I still need that. He's still he's very much grimy. He's very much he's very much that that soldier in the locker room that you know he ain't gonna make a whole lot of noise, but he gonna sit somewhere and say you know enough is enough on the floor. He gonna show that enough is enough. So I I need one of those guys, especially someone who can finish around the rim, even though he's not a three point shooter. I I, I like Taj. Okay, so and let me ask you this: How long into the season? Until Taj blows up that a full size poster of his dunk on Dwayne Wade, how long? How long the season before we, we he puts that in his locker? You don't do that to OGs. <laughs> you don't do that to OGs. You, you you don't you don't do that to OGs. And and plus with Wade's salary, I think you want to stay on his good side, considering you want him to pay for dinner. Okay, you're right. <laughs> that was a nasty dunk, though. No, no, no. Oh, oh, trust me. I was in a bar in Detroit at the time, and I got up out of my seat, and I did the Ricky Davis. Remember the Ricky Davis when he dunked on, <laughs> I think it was, was it Steve Nash that he dunked on? Yes, sir. You know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. Then, yes, then, sir. I'm sure all the basketball heads can remember Ricky Davis in the in the white and blue Cavs jersey with the braids and the uh, young buck uh, lookalike hookup. The, the thing that he yelled when he dunked on Steve Nash, I believe it was, I said that when Todd Gibson dunked on Dwayne Wade. I'll make sure we put the video when we, we tweet this out. We're gonna put the video with it too, so everybody can see it, man. That was that was ridiculous. <laughs> All right, man. So we we gotta we gotta pay respect to the world champion, the NBA champions, not the world, the NBA champion Cavs. Um, not too much to say about this team because I think, and you probably agree with me. Last year they pretty much you know stomped through the East, even though they only won by a game. It seemed like a lot more. 
And once the playoffs hit, we saw them hit that playoff gear. It was another animal in the East. Um, they're pretty much running back to the same squad. J.R. Smith hasn't resigned yet. There's talk, there's talk about giving him about $10 million a year. I mean, there's you can't really critique them right now. They're the kings of the hill in the East. Um, what, all right, so on a scale of – give me a percentage. What chance that somebody dethrones them this year from what you've seen? Toronto, I don't like what the moves really Toronto made. I think it's lateral at the best. Boston, they improved, but I don't know. I mean, they got they got stomped by Atlanta last year, and you know it, it's it's they're heading. I think the Cavs are head and shoulders above everybody else. What percentage uh, do you give me? What chance do you give of them being dethroned next year? If LeBron James is healthy, yep, zero. <laughs> like I think it's cute to have those discussions during the season, but I think right. when it comes down to being completely practical and realistic. You know, even your even your Boston Celtics, I, I think they're vastly improved. I don't yes. see them giving. I don't see anybody giving Cleveland. I mean, if you look, think about it. The best team that gave them a run last year was in the first round of the playoffs. Yes, we'll get to that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, um, so I, I mean, see, let's. I don't see Toronto or Boston giving them a run. I, I see it being I, march, I uh, a march all the way to the finals. Now, see, let's 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 me and you're gonna be the smartest people in the room because we're gonna say this right now. Okay? And you're gonna, I think about you know maybe January, February when they these guys will be kind of the Cavs will be dragging their feet because they know the regular season doesn't matter. They might be you know I don't know ten games over five hundred, still leading the East, but not looking very impressive. You're going to start hearing the chatters and murmur about maybe they maybe the Cavs are or have a hangover. Maybe the Cavs look vulnerable. And then, of course, the playoffs are going to roll around. They're going to stomp their head out of the AC, and everyone's going to w- wonder why the hell did we say that in January. I guarantee it, though. There will be articles written about how vulnerable the Cavs look in, in January and February. It's going to be hilarious. Oh, no, it's going to be fun. We, hey, you know, as media, we got to find something to talk about. And if they play a certain way, then and they're leaving the door open to speculation. That's basically because they're not handling their business the way that they should. But then again, they got to pace themselves because they're playing. They're playing for June, and everybody else is playing for March exactly. and April. Exactly. So exactly, it's a completely different ball game. Now, here's the thing: I wonder. I wonder, depending on how Golden State plays, mm-hmm. if Golden State gels a whole lot better and quicker than anybody expects. And they they look like a better team despite winning seventy three last year. Mm-hmm. Does Cleveland try to trade Kevin Love in the effort to keep up? Is it's hard to to see them breaking up the championship core? But let's be honest: as, as valuable as Kevin Love's skill set is, and he had his moments in the earlier round of the playoffs. Hey. In the finals, he he really wasn't necessary. He came up, so he came up big in game seven. He came up big in game seven. He had like seven big rebounds early. Um, he still didn't really hit a lot of shots. And then he has the defensive stop of the ages where Steph Curry let him lock him down the perimeter great. But look at it. He, he didn't really have a great game. They played better when he sat that one game when he was hurt. When he came back, they lost the next game. I get it. I think he needs maybe I don't know maybe he almost needs a, a new start, but I do believe that the Kevin Love we saw in Minnesota isn't really Kevin Love. Your boy Kenny Smith said it uh, on on his when they're doing the TNT show he, when he mentioned so and so player was the best looter in a riot. 
Meaning for Minnesota, Kevin Love looked like a, a galaxy bursting superstar, but he was just a really <laughs> good player on a really bad team. He got here and he he he's not very versatile, not a lot of things he can do that they need him to do, kind of like Chris Bosch did with Wade. And it shows. Sure, he can hit threes, and when he's engaged, he can rebound. He's still not a strong defender. Uh, and he's sometimes he just, you know, he he's he's just as apt to go four for 12 as he is to go eight for 12. You never really kind of know. So I get it. Uh, it took, but to answer your question, yes, uh, they the front office would not be doing their job. They wouldn't be doing LeBron justice if they didn't, if they did not even. I don't care what Golden State does. If they're not exploring any option to make that team better, then they're not doing. He is definitely an asset that they could use. Uh, he, I mean, out of the core, he's the one that's expendable. You don't, you're not getting rid of Tristan Thompson. You're not getting rid of Kyrie, of course. And, you know, LeBron's LeBron, of course. So they, they they would be fools not to at least, you know, put feelers out and see what they could do about getting somebody to – you might not think it's an upgrade, but sometimes it is what it is, right? So It's just a better thing. Yes. Like, like I, I hear, here's my thing. The best position okay. for LeBron James going forward is forward. small ball power forward. And where's the minutes going to come from if Kevin Love is there, if Tristan Thompson is there? If you still have Chang Fire taking up, you know, considerable minutes, you know what I'm saying? Like, and do you want? And I wonder, is LeBron playing the three more physically taxing than playing the four? Like, these are all questions that you that if you're Cleveland, you have to kind of have the foresight to ask yourself to see, like, what can we do to best save LeBron going forward? Because for him to have the games five, six, and seven of the ages from a reservoir, we didn't think that he had. Let's be perfectly That's honest. True. I didn't know that LeBron could still do that at that efficiency for three straight games against that team. Now, to count on him yep. to do it again next year, I think is a bit much, considering this is year 14 and he'll be age 32, and he's 32 with some real trail on his tires. Now, maybe he can and he'll prove me wrong, but I, if I'm Cleveland, I don't know if I want to take that chance. Uh, you know what's funny? I, I say this sometimes and I get I get poo-pooed and I get laughed at. Year 14, the average NBA career, I mean, a 12-year career is a long career. The average career is what, four years maybe, five years? Yeah. 12 yep, years is a long yep, career. Four, and for him to be going this – yeah, about four years. For him to be going this strong at year 14, it's almost unprecedented. And, yes, there are some players like, you know, Dirk's playing uh, – Dirk, uh, Duncan played late. At this level, at year fourteen, it's amazing. And when I say like, well, you know what, his career is more than half over. Oh no, no, of course it is. I think LeBron has, yeah, you know, if LeBron plays four or five more years at a, it won't be at this level. Let's be real, it's just not going to be. When he's thirty-seven, he's not going to be playing at this level. It's 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 impossible. And if he is, then Michael Jordan, I love you to death, and I think you know your 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 status as the greatest of all time is is almost untouchable. But if LeBron playing like this at thirty seven, then Mike, you got to move over. Um, but yeah, so here's, it's, here's it's the all, most, all, here's the remarkable thing. Here's here's okay. the not to go on a tangent. Here's the remarkable thing about LeBron that I don't think we can really say for any other superstar in modern NBA history. Okay. Ten years ago, what was that? Two thousand six. You could name the best five players in the league. LeBron James was one of them. Five years, you can name the best players in the NBA. LeBron James is one of them. Now, he's still in that conversation. There's, I cannot think of any other star that has had such a sustained 
level of excellence where every time you look up through basically every moment in his prime, you know, every moment from his story you're on, basically, that you can't name the top three players in, in, in basketball and he not be one of them. And many guys come and go. The Dirks, Wayne Wade, uh, Derrick Rose before he got hurt, Kobe Bryant. All these other guys have shifted. Tim Duncan, and he's the constant. He's the rock. I mean, it's – I think we're going to have to wait until about 2025, 2030 to get some distance from his career, to get some more perspective, because it's really hard to put into words and to put in perspective how great he is. And I, I'm going to say – I'm doing it. I'm a, I am I am probably one of the prime people Go who on does the ledge. it. Because Go on the ledge and do it. Go ahead and do it. Go yeah. on the ledge and do it. Go ahead and say well, no, it. Go I'm, ahead I'm, and say it. I know you want to say something. I, va- I, I vacillate from between – I've already we did a um you know like I think a top fifty players all time list for another site last summer and I think I had LeBron already top five last summer this is before before what he you know before he showed this finals and I still am one of those people who I look at what Mike did and in the context of what Mike did six for six in the finals uh you know this the killer performances the scoring average and he, he was just a different kind of animal. And I want to always say, hey, Michael Jordan is the greatest of all times, no debate. LeBron might grab second place, but he's not going to grab the top spot. And maybe by 2030, I might, with a little perspective away from, you know, and let it marinate what LeBron has done, I I have to grasp reality that one day I might have to just say, hey, Mike, you were the best, but this guy has passed you up. So we got time to see. He has more things to do. But I have to, the fact that I'm even saying that's a possibility now is a big step for me. A huge step. I can I can't say no. I can't I can't say you're wrong. Like for me, like you said, he's in he's in that top five, and, and I, I kind of ascribe to the theory that you have to put centers in a completely different category because of their importance to the game. Up until the, maybe the past four or five years, their importance to the game was so huge that you couldn't put them with wings or, or point guards or anybody else. But even if you include the Russells and the Wilts and Kareem's, I mean, man. He's already to me. He's already better than Larry Bird, right? Honestly, he is. And yeah, and and maybe he's not magic, quote unquote, yet. But maybe he's past him. Maybe the only thing he's got left is to conquer Michael Jordan. Now, granted, 2011 said 2011 to me says that it won't happen. That it, that it can't happen. That Mike's never failed that big, that hard on that mm. big of a stage. But okay. everybody's got different demerits. Everybody's got different demerits to their record. Even Jordan's got different demerits. All right. So Vincent here, let me let me get closer to the mic so I can say this. Oh, Vincent, uh, good work. No, no, no. You like my brother from another mother because I had a I had a, a long debate with my good friend, and you know, Will was was making all these. Oh well, if you look at what Mike did, and this, I said, listen, Michael Jordan never had eight points in one of the biggest games of his career. Michael Jordan got shut down by somebody like JJ Barea and and <laughs> whatever other, whatever other bums they threw at him. Yes, was it an aberration? Of course, it was an aberration. LeBron James, one of the greatest players, but ever. it happened. But having but that happened. kind of red mark, having that kind of red mark in your prime on your resume makes it really hard for me to say, "Hey, you are the greatest player of all time." So we don't have to. But he's after what he did last playoffs and in the finals and to win the championship for 
But Cleveland, after what he's done, so many finals in a row, it, it's starting to make me – I might have to rethink that stance. Uh, we're talking about all-time greats right now, and let's talk about another all-time great performance, Kyrie. Kyrie, to me, yeah. last all last season, he was just kind of an afterthought because, you know, we know the great point guard of Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul. He would come back from that injury, and, you know, he he, he didn't play great all season. That's fine. You know, he's working his way back. But even before that, I thought of him as a second tier kind of point guard. Um, he had a he had a final for the ages. He, you know, one of the shots that shot will go down in infamy. Before his finals, well, first of all, did the finals change the way you look at Kyrie? And if it did, what did you think of him? Like, you know, when the season started last year, and how do you think of him now? Now, like you said, did it change the way that I felt? It reaffirmed something. And I'll, and I'll give you an anecdote. I was in Los Angeles, uh, middle of the season. I can't remember. The Bulls might have been playing the Clippers on a Sunday afternoon. It was an ABC game or the Lakers. So one of those okay. two. And I sat at half court with two scouts, not from the, the Bulls or the Lakers. They were national guys. or not national guys. They mm-hmm. were guys from other teams who were looking at players from one or both rosters. And, I, and Cleveland was really struggling at the time. And it was right before the All-Star break. And I said, I'm, it might have been right around the time they fired Black, but right, right, literally right around that time, just to give you a point of reference. And the one guy said to me, and I'll never forget this, he said, the only way that Cleveland will win is if Kyrie is allowed to be Kyrie. Like, hmm. LeBron can carry a team, but so far, but Kyrie just has a different type of dog in him that LeBron needs playing next to him. And yeah, he compared it on the back end to Dwayne Wade taking taking a step back and letting LeBron flourish that like LeBron had never really flourished before in, in that type of setting. Not that he hadn't been a great player because he had been an MVP and everything else, but giving him the okay as a peer that I'm going to slightly step to the side or step out of the way so that you can cook. And Kyrie, he said to me, they will not win unless Kyrie, unless they turn him loose. And I said, then, and I said, then that's not going to happen because LeBron is too much of a control freak for them to turn Kyrie loose. And he said, you're right. And that's why Cleveland will not win. But if they do, Cleveland can win. And if you look at it, the series turned when not only when Draymond Green swiped at LeBron, but it also turned when LeBron started doing everything else and he let Kyrie and let, Now, LeBron still got his 40, Kyrie. but his 40 wasn't a, you know what I'm saying, it wasn't a, 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 a smothering 40. It was a flow 40. You just looked up and right. you're like, damn, LeBron got 35? But you knew every time Kyrie hit a big shot because Kyrie was so dominant with it. And that's how, it, and that's how I always looked at him. But... When they went down 3-1, I just thought, man, maybe this kid just don't have it. You know, maybe all these things that I've heard from all these, all these guys who've known the game for years, maybe just don't have it. And then game five happened, and that was it. I said, I don't want to hear another word. I didn't care what happened for the rest of the series. Right. But at that point, Kyrie was like – Kyrie literally just looked at it and said, LeBron, I don't care what you're doing. Like, you're going you gonna to rock with me, but you're going to let me have this ball and you're going to let me cook. And Kyrie started cooking. Now, can he do that for 82 games? Yes. Does he want to do that for 82 games? Does he have the mental no. capacity to dominate his opponent every single night like that? Probably not. But all he's got to do is do it in June. 
and, and see, this is this is where the June, debate, right? Right. But see, here's one where the debate rages for a lot of people is like Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul. They do play at that high level every night for you know 82 games, and Kyrie doesn't have to. He just doesn't have that responsibility because he doesn't need to do that kind of thing. And this is where the 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 big debate is because sure we saw Kyrie do it on the biggest stage in the biggest moment, and that means something. How much does it mean though when he doesn't have to get himself to that point? You just said it. LeBron will get you to that point, and then we need you to step up and do what you do, Kyrie. So okay, that's where the, the philosophical difference is. Okay, but here's how I flip it to you: if you put Chris Paul with LeBron, or you put Russ with LeBron and you put them in that exact situation, A, can you trust Russell Westbrook to play that much under control for three games and to play that way? Can, can, okay. can his motor run as high as it runs and give you and, an efficient, a clinical, a deadly 40 the way that he did without the mistakes and the boneheaded players on the back end? And with Chris Paul, can he even give you 40? Does he even I'm have hearing the mindset what you're saying, of but that let's... type of killer? So That's let's switch saying. it though. I'm just saying, you put Kyrie in in you put Kyrie on the Clippers, and give him the responsibility. Say we need you. So so and I and it's a very. I appreciate you saying that because thing it's a very nebulous thing because it, some people and this is that's why it's a debate right because the people who are pro Kyrie will look at the things and say the things you said. Not saying you're pro Kyrie, but that's that's what they're going to lean on. They wouldn't admit what you just right. admitted though and say that. If you try to make him, you try to ask him to do what a Chris Paul does, he's going to fail spectacularly because he's not the passer, he's not the game manager, he's not the defender. So I, you know, you're you're being objective there, and and it, I'm not saying any either one is right or wrong. I will say though that the finals, up until Game Five, to me, I wasn't saying he doesn't have it. You know, I I was thinking, I was thinking he is who I thought he was, not in a bad way. I was thinking, hey. LeBron right. is the man of that team. Kyrie's supposed to score and give you like 20. Hey, it's the finals. He's not doing it. I was him, but he made me respect him even more with those last three games. Now, here's my thing. Let's say last January, where did you rank him amongst your point guards? That's a great question. Because what I ask, because me, I come from, I'm, I am a prisoner of my roots. Okay. I, I grew up in Detroit. So I, I said to say, not that I'm a prisoner of the point guards, but I'm a prisoner of how I've seen that position. You know what I'm saying? Okay. That's what I want my point guard to. That's what I want my point guard to be. Is Kyrie the point guard that I would build from the ground up? Is Kyrie the point guard that if I had a son, I would say, hey, you got to go, you have to pattern your game after Kyrie because you have to be that type of leader? Probably not. But let me ask you this. Short. And I won't even say short of Damian Lillard because I'm not even sure Lillard could do physically because he's not physically big enough to do the type of things that, that Kyrie did in Whoa. games five through seven. Uh, I'm, okay. I'm just saying physically. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm saying, I'm saying physically you can beat him up a little bit more than you can beat up Kyrie. Uh, and maybe I'm okay. wrong. Okay. We'll, we'll do maybe, Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll. We'll leave that debate for another day. The, I'm thinking on the top of the head. I'm just thinking on the top of the. I'm just talk, talking top of the dome. How many point guards could do what Kyrie did in five through seven? So if I'm if I got a if I got a point guard that's got to set the table and all this other type of stuff, I, Kyrie's down on the down the list. If I got right. a point guard who's 
if I need a point guard who just needs to just needs to score and somebody else is going to facilitate, he's going to ball a little bit closer to the top. But right. you know, it, it, Steph and you got Steph and you got Dame and you got Russ and as much as you love a guy like Russ, you got to put up with some of the negatives too, right? <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> hey, hey man, this is a this is a nice family podcast. Russ. You're not going All right. Hey, just go ahead, let's walk away from it right now. All right? Now, the the reason I say that is because I've been one of the biggest Russ stands for a while, but at the end of last season and going and coming into this season, can you trust I, I took him? Off, I took off my blinders a bit and I I'm I'm able to admit his faults. I'm I'm able to admit his flaws. I'm hoping that this year was a transition year and next year with a, a real team around him, not just a skeleton squad after when KD went down two years ago, this year that he's actually takes another step forward maturity wise. And we get to see the finest Westbrook performance, but yes, they're there. You're absolutely right, man. I love Westbrook to death. I would take him as my point guard over anybody else just for his the dog in him. But decision-making wise down the, in the stretch, you, you got to worry about him. You do. I, I admit it. I, mean, I want my point um, guards to be the best decision makers on my team. Now, I normally do, too. Now, here's the thing. He doesn't have to be because he had LeBron James. So I will say, like, you know, right. coming to the season, my mind was Steph, Steph, Russ, uh, Chris Paul, Chris, Chris Paul and Russ, like, side by side. But, you know, Russ is my guy, number two. I had CP3, number, th- number three. And then I, I had Wall and Dame. Then Kyrie right there, like a half step behind those two. I still don't think Kyrie could do what Wall and Dame have done as far as leading a team into the playoffs. You know, Wall didn't do it last year. He's been the main guy on the team. He couldn't do that, but he did kind of leapfrog them. So now it's the, it's the top three guys, and I, I got Kyrie, you know, maybe uh, a two inches higher than the Wall, Dame kind of guy. So, hey, I got to respect what he did on, on the biggest stage. The man was an animal. So what can I really say? Um, that, and that's, that's all there really is to say about him. He, he, he was incredible. <laughs> Last thing on the Cavs, man. Oh, well, one of the last things on the Cavs. We and we kind of I think I already know your answer because we kind of discussed it already. How important is it for them to get Kevin Love's confidence and get his footing early in the season? And does he do that? Or is he gonna be still kind of that kind of fringe player that he was? He just kind of stuck out, man. He was just the, like, yes, he was part of the team and he had a couple big moments, but you know, let's be real. He was just kind of the oddball. He kind of stuck out and and even it's funny how we look at it now. LeBron said that thing, stop trying to fit in and fit out, or stop trying to fit out or whatever and fit in. It's here we are two years later, and it's still kind of the same thing. So how important is it that they they try to get Kyrie, I mean Kyrie, they get Kevin Love fully integrated, and can it be done? I don't know if it necessarily can be done. I just think we're going to have to accept that Kevin Love is not going to be that type of frontline guy. Like, he can't be the guy to lead the Cavs in shots. I know LeBron went into last year in the preseason and said, well, I'm going to take a step back so Kevin can do more and all this other type of stuff. That sounds so wonderful in theory and in application. It, it just, it's just not realistic. And not only that, with the type of role that Kyrie is coming off of in the finals and the way that he's playing, in the way that theoretically you think he's going to finish off the Olympics, maybe he hits another gear of consistency. So it's possible. And, and and let's not forget and let's not forget this. Let's not forget this. LeBron James did not get one single top MVP vote last season. Wow. Do not think that he's not going to try to push it for 82 games just to prove us wrong. Mm, okay. So I'm gonna be at the other end of that. Well, I, I think he wants he MVP is to the point... number five to 
to put in with. I hear you saying he it. I hear you one. saying it. Important to him though is ring number four. So I I hear what you're saying. It'd be nice, but like you, we we already discussed it. The man's already what he's he's 31 now. Ron's 31. Be 32, be 32 in, in, December. December. Be 32 in December. In December. So yep. I, I think it's easy for us. To, but hey, like he said himself, I'm chasing the ghosts in Chicago. So I think the things that we mere mortals look at, MVPs, all that, he wants the rings and he wants that legacy. And, hey, I think maybe we're, maybe I'm wrong and maybe you're right. I think he's fine averaging 26, 6, and 6 all season. I think he's fine just kind of cruising. Every now and then he'll just, just – he'll get for the big games. Hey, Golden State's coming. I'm about to show out. You know, uh, New York, Mel's on the court. I'm about to show out. But I think for the most part, I think we might see him kind of cruise. Let, let Kyrie do his thing. Let Kevin Love do his thing. And that's a smart thing for him to do. Um, so we're gonna see. And I'm I'd love to have you back on, you know, about mid-season so we could we could talk about it and revisit course, that man. one. I like that one. I like that one. So give me give me the prediction, man. Uh last year, what the kids win? What the Cavs win last year? Cavs uh, they only won well, they only, 57. They won 57, 57. They were a game up on Toronto, first place. Um, of course, they won the ship. So how do you think they finish up this year? How many wins they get? Mm, that's a good question. I, I think they probably finish some probably about 58, I think. I, I think they finished about 58 wins. I think they could probably get to 60, but I think they start powering it down. I think they I think they start off a little slowly, and I think they really hit it around January, February, and that's when they start to sort of distance themselves from the rest of everybody, right, right between the All-Star break. Right around February and March is right where those really good teams say enough of this. And they they put that energy burst on for about 30 games just to get enough separation between them and the wannabes, and then they hit a cruise control for maybe the last 15 games or so. So I wouldn't be right. surprised if they if they could get they can get to 60, but I think they'll play at a, probably about a 55 to 58 win pace. I wanted to say 55 to 58. Now I'm looking at the roster and there's somebody we didn't even mention, and this is going to be key to them. I think we're going we'll talk about it midseason again. Mike Dunleavy is on this roster. Mike Dunleavy was a yeah. sneaky, great signing. Sneaky, sneaky, great signing because that man can shoot. He's a smart player. He can lubricate an offense because he can pass. I think Kyrie being fully healthy, he's even if he's giving only 80% all season, he's fully healthy. And I think the confidence and the swagger he's going he's gonna to play with this year. Even if they don't put the pedal to the metal, I'm saying that that championship reinvigorated the whole franchise I'm going to peg them for at least 60 this year. I, and I think that's going to be almost easy for them. I think they're going to be running off adrenaline and just disagree. the high no, of that championship. Yeah. I'm looking I, forward I to it. I that's can't disagree be... with you. I... So that's going to be interesting to see, man. Um, so so everybody here is that my man is that LeBron is going to go full, almost pedal to the metal for 82. I'm saying he's he's at the stage now where he's above those things and he's going to look and say, you know, let them have the regular season. Oh, athletes. never discount LeBron's petty. Never discount <laughs> LeBron's ability to be petty. Hey, you, you know what? He his doesn't Instagrams and his snaps and all that. This just I've seen it, petty. man. The petty tour. He's he's still human, man, and he knows that he needs to keep it in the tank for the playoffs. Because in the playoffs, he's going to take off on them. Um, one of the one of the challenges they're going to have, I think. I think this is uh, the last real, well, not last, last in the division challenger they might really have uh, as far as not even challenger because we know Cleveland's going to win the East walking away. The Pacers, uh, last season, 
mm. seventh seventh in the East. Uh, they gave Toronto all they can handle, and even though you know Toronto lost in six to Cleveland, it, that's that still says them to me for the Pacers. Paul George was electric in the playoffs. Um, he did this mm-hmm. thing he's done the last couple of years where he started off the season, like the first 20, 25 games. He came out like an MVP. He was having like 28, 8, and 5 to kick the season off, shooting 45% from deep. And then just like he did the season before he got injured, right around Christmas time or January, early January, he starts tailing off. And he tails off to the point where you start wondering if something wrong with him. I think he just pushed himself too hard to start the season. And I think this year he might, he might realize he needs to pace himself. And we're going to see a better Paul George. But either, uh, no matter what the case is, they brought in Thad Young, which I think is a, a good one. He's going to take the bulk of those power four minutes that Paul George didn't want to touch. Miles Turner is going to be a year better. Uh, George Hill, I love George Hill. I think it might have been a mistake for them to let, let him go for Jeff Teague. But offensively, you can't. Uh, I can't deny that Jeff Teague is a better offensive player. And if Larry Bird wants to pick up the pace, he got the perfect player to do it. Um, they pushed Toronto to seven in the first round last year. I'm thinking if everything breaks – pretty much right and if paul george comes back and he shows that i'm still i'm a, I'm a top 10 pushing for a top five player spot they have a shot to challenge for this number two spot in the east tell me if i'm crazy or or, or give me a pat in the back and tell me i might be on to something you might be on to something but i think a lot of people will call you crazy because mm-hmm. people were not high on nate mcmillan as a coach even though i think nate is one of the smarter guys one of the smarter guys uh, around mm-hmm. and I think people have not given him enough credit by the way of believing that a guy can learn from his you know from his first stop or second stop or whatever and I think he was a really good coach uh, in, in Seattle and Portland the thing that I wonder what way are they going to play that, that's the only thing about the Pacers that I wonder about because like you said Paul controlled a lot of the offense last year and I think it showed in some of his usage and his 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 numbers and efficiency were down compared to that 13-14 season, but the numbers right. overall look good. I wonder if you need if if you got Jeff Teague because you need Paul more as a finisher than a facilitator. And if that's the case, you're going to see that percentage rise, and that's where George Hill, who at times looked absolutely petrified in the playoffs, Whoa. absolutely petrified. Whoa. During his career, I'm not saying in that particular series. I'm saying okay, over the okay. course of his career, sometimes that. he has looked completely, or especially when the opponent was the Miami Heat, he couldn't even get the ball to court half the time. But, <laughs> but I, I think okay. if you get Jeff Teague, who, who Jeff Teague is a, a tempo point guard. I don't think he's a great one. But I think he's a tempo point guard who's an who's an upgrade and who can at least take some of the playmaking away from Paul George, and don't. Don't forget that sneaky Al Jefferson thing. Like, I don't know how much he's got left in the tank, but if as a big he's off the bench and he's going against a second-unit guy and you're throwing him out there for between 16 and 24 minutes a night and all you're telling him is, Al, when you get it, you just, you score. We don't, don't worry about nothing else. You score. Like like the old school guys like James Edwards and Kevin Duckworth or whatever where you just throw him out there Antoine for Carr. 15 minutes at a time. Yeah, yeah, and you just and you just say score, and you worry about nothing else, and they feel comfortable in that role. Maybe you got something there. Maybe you got some, uh, diversity in, in terms of playing where you can slow it down with Big Al, and you speed it up with Teague and Paul George and and Thad Young and Turner out there. Maybe they have enough diversity in play where they can play different styles and be able to pick one down the stretch. So I, I'm curious about that route for next year. I don't think you're crazy 
And I'm not sure if they're better than Boston, but I think they can be better than Toronto. See, and this is why I appreciate having this podcast and having guests like you on because I say things, I, I believe certain things, and, you know, sometimes you get either caught in an echo chamber or you just don't really get a lot of feedback. <laughs> you know, exactly what you said about, about Al, Al, Al Jefferson is exactly why I think they have a chance because, I mean, look, he's only 31. Yeah, he's dealt with some injuries the last couple of years. But we all know the Pope's a big man. I, this is my favorite saying. They're no longer the leading men in action movies, blockbusters. Now they are. Uh, they they have featured roles, and they're that character actor who can come in and have a memorable scene, and and make the movie that much better. All he needs to do is come in for 15, 20 minutes a night, beat the heck out of a backup power forward or center. If he ends up with not a, hey, he gives you nine points in a quick eight minutes. That's his. That's his goal. If he has a hot night and gives that's, you twenty four points in fifteen minutes, that's all you need from him. And you're not asking him to be a stopper. You're not asking him to be the backbone of your 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 offense. You ask him to come in. Tear it up for 15, 20 minutes and, and then have a seat and, and cheer on the rest of his teammates. And that's a perfect role for him, I think, at this stage of his career. So thank you, man, for backing me up on that. I really that that made me feel better. And yeah, I know. I know that right now Boston is would be a better team uh, right now on paper. I know that Toronto, even though I don't like the moves they made, they still proved themselves and made the you know East Conference finals. I'm just looking at I think uh, in the Boston series, I think Paul George having the best player on the floor means something and paul george to yeah. me is the second best player in the eastern conference and he he can catch fire and do things that just make you say wow and that's the kind of thing that's the kind of talent that can win you playoff series so um that's interesting to see to me man i just i'm, I'm excited to see you taking like paul george lot. over jimmy butler i'm gonna tell jimmy butler that hey you know what damn jimmy butler don't know who i am so you could tell him but i love jimmy butler <laughs> but yes I, I I've just we've seen Paul George. I was looking at tape of him the other night, and while he's not the um, he's not the physical presence Jimmy Butler is. Jimmy Butler is a stronger player. I think Paul George mm-hmm. with his length and and his uh his his mid range game, I would I would I would rather build the offense right here. It's it's close. Jimmy Butler's close to me, but I think Paul George is more is a little bit more of the player I want to have the ball in his hands every night. Uh, speaking of Paul George, like I said, I'm, I'm a big fan of his, and last season. He was one of he became one of three players. It's funny to look at this group. He's one of three players to uh, average twenty three points, seven at least seven rebounds, at least four assists, and make at least two and a half threes a night. That's make two and a half threes a night. Three players and hit it since nineteen ninety six. Three players have done that. And the other two players, one was Kevin Durant last season, and the other player was Antoine Walker in in two thousand and one. So that's a pretty wide spectrum. We know Antoine. Yeah, Antoine was a chucker. We know mm-hmm. that. So we always talk about it's always fun to have the barbershop conversations. You know, we know I think LeBron James has stamped his foot and said, don't tell me Steph Curry's better than me ever again. We know he's the best player in the league. People say Steph is the second best. And I think Kevin Durant's the second best player in the league. They're both the same team, which is terrifying for the league. Where And this is just, you know, hey, I'm, I'm in the chair getting my lineup right now. You tell me, where is Paul George <laughs> in, your, in your current crop of players? That's a great that's a great question because I put Paul with Jimmy Butler and with a Kawhi Leonard, and I'm gonna like if you close your eyes and pick one, you won't you won't be disappointed. The thing that may separate Paul from those other two guys is that Paul has had to basically lead lead a franchise, you know, on his own. And yep. although he hasn't necessarily done it done it long because he hasn't been in the league that you know that long and in his prime and at this state, 
You know, mm-hmm. I think he showed me something last year because, of you know, he lost a little bit physically. I don't think he's fully that same, you know, that, that same guy. Not that he's that far from it, but, you know, his defensive rating was, I think, right around the same as it was in 14. Uh, or a little bit, actually, it's a couple points higher. And maybe I will put Kawhi Leonard above him just off of that alone. Because Kawhi, mm, okay. I think, Kawhi, I think, will put you on punishment. Jimmy, I mean, we, we saw. I don't know if Jimmy can we put saw you Ka- on punishment. I don't know if Jimmy can put you on punishment for forty minutes. We saw what Kawhi did to Paul George last season. Paul George had his worst shooting game like ever. Kawhi is the more disciplined, uh, I say, aggressive defender. But well, there's no but. He's the better defender. I think out of all three of them, he's the best. I guess all around defender. Yeah. The th- the thing that's amazing to me about Paul George, and it sounds silly, and def- you can't screen him. I've never seen him being smacked solid by a screen. He has this technique, this footwork, and he's just so quick, and he, he he works the angle just right where he is ghosting your screen. Either he's over it and on his player's hip, or you're not going to touch him. It's it's kind of amazing to watch. Lock in when they – you probably seen it. He, it could be because be, well, the thing is, like you said, you said Jimmy's bigger, right? So bigger makes you easier to – like you, hit, you can hit him in the shoulder yes. or in the sweet spot. I think Jimmy dislocated his elbow last year on a screen, oh. not last year, year before, o- on a screen, against, I think against the Clippers when they wore them powder blue uniforms on a, a national TV game and he missed about two or three weeks. Paul has a long stride and he's long and sleek where he's not as muscular as those two guys where the right. longer legs, the longer stride can allow him, almost in the same vein as a Dennis Rodman before he discovered the weights. Like, think of Dennis right. Rodman circa 1988. Not Dennis Rodman 1991. Right, exactly. Wiry, where it, it was really hard to get him because he had long legs and long arms, and he could pull himself. He could almost catapult himself through the screen, you nice. know, with his own momentum, as opposed right. to just getting nailed. And I think that's where that, that makes Paul very special and unique defensively. I love him, man. I love watching him play. So he's almost like Tracy McGrady-like, where he, just from looking at him, you think he's not playing hard, just because he's kind of played so smooth and at a, at a nice, easy, mm-hmm. even pace. And next thing you know, he's exploding by you for a dunk, and all you know, he's not even really sweating. And the end of the game, he has twenty-eight, nine, and, and four assists, and, and he put a he put a loss on you. Um, I'm no, really looking forward special. to seeing him. He's special. He is. He's the man could play. Another special player, I think, that is going to end up special in the in the Indiana, Miles Turner. Um, uneven rookie yeah. season, but the, I mean, you can see the talent. Just, it's, I hate when people try to look at numbers and say, "Oh, he only did this." And all right, just watch him play for a few possessions or watch him for a few games, and you just see him do things. You think that kid's that kid's gonna be special? You don't know how special. I'm not, I don't know if he's gonna be an all star. I don't know if he'll be a star, but he's definitely an NBA player who's gonna have his moments in the in the league. Um, what can you give me a player comparison? And what's his ceiling? That's what do you think his ceiling? I can't figure out a player comparison for him because I haven't seen too many guys physically like him. You know what I'm saying? Like at his right. age, where he still has a lot of physical growing to do. Was he what 19, 20? Was he is he 20 yet? They might have, might have just turn 20. Uh, yeah, you know like because he's got he's got a soft he's got a softer he's got he's got like a little soft touch where you can't really leave him, but he plays enough right. inside to where you really you got to play him. Like he he's I'm almost a hybrid new age big man type of thing, but very much lives. to me it's just to, to me it's he's a great interior defender 
who's got who's got the quickness and the awareness to step out and guard pick and rolls mm-hmm. and come back and hedge and come back. There's not too many guys outside of Anthony Davis that can do both of those things things equally effective. Like I think he's poised like as much as Paul George is going to be the best player on the Indiana Pacers, Miles Turner might be the most important player if this team is going to make a jump, like you said, to being that team that can challenge uh, Cleveland for runner-up and, you know, just, just, just sign up to be runner-up. If he improves and, and big men take a longer time to improve, but to me I think the improvement he made through the season to me shows me he's going to be special. I think he's going to be really good, man. I, re- I really, really do. I think he's going to be really good. And I, I, that, that's exactly why I think that this year they have an outside shot of being number two in, in the East. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost, I'm, I'm a, I got a good feeling about Indiana because Paul George, I think we, we both agree can play, and I think Turner's right there with him. He's going in a couple years, at least a couple years, he's going to be up there, and we're going to be talking about one of the best young big men in the league. So last year they finished off uh, 45 and 37, uh, seven seed. Give me the prognosis this year. I think they probably, I will, I will. Wouldn't be surprised if they finish right about fifty. If health and everything goes right, I think they, I think they probably finish. I will say fifty-one thirty-one. Okay. And what, what do you think? It's now see if they won fifty last season. Guess what? They'd be the number three seed. I think this year we might see a little more separation and maybe a couple more teams break fifty in the East. Where do you think they're going to finish up? I think they finish. I think they finish ahead of Toronto. Oh, but behind Boston. I like that. I like that. I think. I think, I think Boston winds up finish second at like fifty four, fifty three, or something like that. I think. I think those two, Indiana, Toronto, are probably closer in wins. Like maybe fifty one, fifty, fifty two, fifty, or something like that. I I just okay. think that for whatever reason, I'm not. I'm not a huge. Huge. I'm not super high on Toronto this coming season. I'm, I'm for whatever reason I'm, I've never been high on them. I was more shocked than anybody that they actually made the conference finals. You, you know, but wasn't shocked that the I was shocked that they actually won a couple games. So I, I don't I'm not a believer in Toronto more I mean in Toronto more than anything else. So I wouldn't be surprised if Indiana finished third in the East. I'm gonna say this about why I'm not high on them because I wasn't high on them last year either. Uh, they, they, I was pleasantly, pleasantly surprised that they won a couple from Cleveland. The reason that I'm kind of down on them this season is that, uh, sure, they're making smart moves, but last year Biombo was their almost their heart and soul. He, he was that player that came off the bench, or even when he started, and he just there were times when he was, he was just dominant without scoring a point, and that matters. And he showed it. He, 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 he made himself a lot of money this postseason. And you know, people kind of saw what his, his his potential was, and you let him go, and then you bring in that rookie, um, uh, what's his name, Potal, Chipotle. Um, no, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. yeah, they really didn't. They didn't really replace him with anybody uh, of merit. And it, so much of what they do is 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 based on energy and and synergy and playing together. So, look, I'm not a big DeRozan fan either, and it's amazing me they paid him that money <laughs> and they locked him in. But whatever, hey, it works. It works for them. They've been in the playoffs. They've been showing an upward upward trend. Who knows? But and we know it doesn't really matter right now because I think the Cavs, no matter what, at the, at the end of the day, are gonna walk out of that that smoking Eastern Conference and with their heads held high. So it doesn't really matter. But um, yeah, I think I think I'm with you on the Pacers. They're gonna I think they're gonna finish 
somewhere in three to five. And I'll just I'll just go I'll go 50 win for them too. I, I really like what I see there. I just don't like the, I don't like the way they treated Vogel. I don't, I don't know. And maybe you can give me some insight on how why they why what made Vogel persona non grata. Because I think Larry Bird doesn't put much value in the coaching. I just you guys. I think he played for Bill Fitch for a few years, and then he played for Casey Jones for four years. And Casey Jones took him to the finals. I think maybe five years. And Casey Jones took him to the finals every single year that they were there, with the exception of the last year. And Bird himself, when he coached, he only coached three years. He got to the conference finals every single year in the finals once. I just think he views that as a lot of guys from that time. If you even guy like Jerry West. When he was uh, when he headed the Lakers, he fired Pat Riley. And that was Pat Riley. You know what I'm saying? And he and Jerry had a short run with Hubie Brown, who was already basically just going in and set the foundation. But I think what what I'm, the larger point is, I think if you come from a certain era, I don't think that you view coaching in the way that we have been sort of taught to view coaching now. That a coach has to be here for seven, eight, or nine years for you to be any good or something like that. I don't think that Larry Bird views it that way. And I don't think it was any any shade to Frank. I just think that he probably wanted a, a different voice, and he probably felt like that, that engine that runs right. I think five years for a coach in the NBA is pretty good, honestly. Unless you're Pop, unless you're Doc Rivers, unless you're, you know, two or three guys, if you get five years in one place, you had a pretty good run. Yeah, I just don't like the way he handled it, man. I thought Vogel deserved a little more respect than that, but you know, it is what it is. I it's, can't it's, disagree it's a, with you. I can't. It's an ugly business, man. Yeah, I I thought Vogel did a pretty damn good job, and you know, he deserved a little a little more respect than that. But it is what it is, right? What what can you say? Bird handled the way he handled it. With they're moving forward, um, which means watch out up, for the man. Orlando Magic this year. That's what that means. You think so? Yeah, I think so. Mm. All right, well, let's get to. We're going at the end of the show. Me, you can go over that a little bit because I'm 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 okay. on the opposite side of that. But um, this is a team that you you probably you know pretty well too. We're gonna talk about the Pistons. Um, last year was I thought they had a good year. Last year, uh, baby steps, got to the playoffs. Reggie and, and Drummond showed some some emerging chemistry. I'm a real big Tobias Harris fan. Um, not so much a Marcus mm-hmm. Marcus Morris fan, but he made me a better a fan because he played pretty well last season for the Pistons. Uh, and like you said. And this this is what I think people underrate this. You can't harp on how how important playoff experience is. And then like people are doing, you can't ignore the fight that Detroit gave Cleveland in the first round. If I'm correct and tell me if I'm incorrect, every one of the games with the except for one, it was a sweep. But every game was within like five points, except for one that that Cleveland won by like 13. They and every game except for that one. Detroit was in it to the, in the last couple of minutes. It wasn't like they were getting blown out and then had a hit a couple of threes late to make it close. They were they came down to a few possessions and it took a couple of Kyrie big shots to win one game. And Detroit showed a little something in the playoffs and they only got better. I think they they're going to have natural progression. Reggie Jackson's still just entering his prime. Drum is only twenty three. Tobias is still young. You know it's it's amazing. And then they added uh, my man Boban from San Antonio, which. We can talk yep. about that in a second. And they added a uh, big lure. Um, who he's he's a power John forward, Lure, kind of yep. been a journeyman. John Lore, he's a journeyman kind of. But if you look, if again, if you actually watch him play, the man can play some basketball. 
So they added some uh they added they shored up some size. I think there's still a, a, a gaping hole as far as backup point guard. But I mean, I, I think Detroit last year was a raging success. I'm not sure though if they added they added enough pieces to really make that leap into the maybe the top four in the East. You talk tell me what you saw from Detroit last season and what you think they're gonna do this year. Here here's what I and and I've depending on who depending on when you when you listen to me, you may think I'm like the a bigger Detroit guy or a big Detroit hater, <laughs> depending on when you hear me. But I think, and I think the Pistons' success, more so than even you know, uh, they signed they signed Ish Smith off to come off the bench uh, to, to be their backup point guard, which I think is sort of a, a sort of quiet uh, a quiet move. But I think more than anything, Stanley Johnson is ready. And I and I've loved that and I've loved that kid come out the draft. If Stanley Johnson is ready, then the Pistons are in a completely different strata because I think he has a potential to be special, like even more so than not that Drummond can't be special, but I think he's closer to what he's going to be. Like he's going to hone a few things, going to get better uh, awareness defensively and stuff like that. Even though I don't think he'll be a monster like DeAndre Jordan is uh, on the defensive mm-hmm. end as far as calling out coverages, protecting the rim, all that type of stuff. I just think he'll be adequate on the back line. So I look at Stanley Johnson as being the guy who has superstar potential. Like, I think he really has superstar potential. Now, not this year, but I think a couple years down the line, he's going to be that. But the thing is, the progression has to start now. And I think, you know, running this off in the playoffs last year and everything else, but he didn't back down. I love it. To me, you you 19, 20 years old, you call LeBron out and you don't scare. Like he didn't I love scare. It. Like people talked about him like he was the Sean Stevenson or something, and th- this was the Washington Wizards. Like this was not this was not that type of thing. This was a kid who who knew what he was saying and was ready to sort of step and take it on. To me, even more so than Reggie Jackson, because I think he kind of Reggie Jackson is kind of the player that he's going to be, even though he's only had a full year starting. I still think he's relatively close to what he's going to be. Mm-hmm. And I like Tobias Harris, and I like and I like Marcus Morris, but I think if Stanley Johnson really takes that next step, I think the Pistons will be dangerous for that fourth spot this year. This year, I think okay. they'll be dangerous for that fourth spot. Oh, all right. This okay. Year. I, hey, Piston fans! First of all, Piston fans, I'm going to say my bad for not mentioning Stanley Johnson. One of the first things because. A lot like you, Vincent, when he was coming out, I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a big college guy. So I start watching like all the the um, the tape I can on college guys, maybe uh, March or April, getting ready for the draft. And he really stood out to me. And I said this. I got I can find it on Twitter somewhere. I, I said it. I said, Stanley Johnson might end up being the best pro out of this draft. Something about him just popped for me. And like you yeah. said, I think he had that. Look, right now, the modern NBA, we can say it sounds cliche to say the modern NBA. But look at it. LeBron James, uh, Kevin Durant. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, you want a wing, you know, either shooting guard or a, a, a large shooting guard or a small forward who can do a lot of things. That, that seems to be the crux of, of a lot of good teams, unless you have, of course, a Steph Curry who can just shoot from, from anywhere on the court, whatever. But the point is, and look, Draymond basically is a small forward who can do a lot of things. So Stanley right. Johnson is that kind of, I think he is that kind of player. And I, I, I'm right there with you where if he develops and becomes even like 80% of what I think he can, he would not, not so much drumming who I think, like you said, hey, hey, last year he was at 16 and 14 or whatever. That's great. 
I don't know how much better Drummond's going to get. I don't know how much better Reggie Jackson's going to get. While Stanley Johnson is just a, is a bundle of potential right now, and the team might go where he goes. I, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Yeah, I, I just think sometimes you just know when a guy's special. You know, no matter no matter whether it's the confidence or the the skill set, you know, and and don't get me wrong, you know, I don't know if his best position is two or you know two or three. If it's two, then that presents something interesting because you got Caldwell Pope, who I think is one of the better defensive two guards in the league. If he's a yeah, and oh, I, I think KCP gave Stephen Curry his worst night of the year at home last year, and talk about oh, he a guy can who couldn't get screened. Yeah, all he because he, he's long and he doesn't have to give you space because he's quick enough to keep up with you. And yep. I, like you said, as much as this is a, this is much as we say, this is a point guards league, this is a wings league. And you got to have wings who can, def, who can defend, who can defend end to end and who can score mm-hmm. without taking up much space. I think Stanley is, I think Stanley's got a higher ceiling. I think KCP is a guy that, if you play him around between 30 and 34 minutes a night and not play him between 35 and 40 like he had to play a lot last year, I think right. those two guys can make Detroit so dynamic because you can't just have Reggie and Drummond on the on the 1-5 screen roll and just have a couple of shooters. you got to have a couple of guys who you can throw the ball down to you know, on the block or just guys you can play drive and kick with. And I think that's what makes – Detroit that much dangerous that you get two young guys who, who do nothing but improve between now and you know the in the next season yes sir yes sir and and the other like you said Tobias Harris to me six nine him and Marcus Morris two six nine athletic uh can step outside and can do a little damage inside they're almost like again prototypical you know modern power forwards and Stanley Johnson, I think, will take step in that role at the three, and let and they're both gonna have to. I don't know. Maybe Detroit has a decision to make, but right now it's a nice platoon to have. That's Tobias Harris and and Marcus Definitely. Morris, and especially let's talk about Tobias because I've been big on him for years. Uh, it's okay. I, I think we can say that the 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 Mellow Junior is not quite the he's not he's not Mellow level <laughs> or even close to being Mellow level kind of score, but as far as being a physical small forward who can get down to the box, he definitely had that potential. Where do you see his ceiling at? I see. I think he's in the right spot because he's one of those guys that if he's your first or your second best player, I don't know how good he's going to be. And I think that's kind of, that's kind of where he was in Orlando where, you know, he got paid that money. Him and uh, I think he got, he got paid and I think Vucevic got paid first. And I think when you mm-hmm. get paid, you're expected to sort of be a certain type of guy, even if you're chemically not made to be it. In Detroit, right. he doesn't have to be first or second. He can be your third best player. He can be your fourth best player on you know on a given night where you don't have to devote all of your attention to him. I mean, like you said, it's almost like prototypical inside-outside guy. Like he can float around the perimeter, five-screen roll, and you got to watch him. You can isolate right. him 16, 18 feet and basically run an offense through him there. And basically that's all you need. You know, I, I won't, he's not necessarily the greatest athlete and all this other type of stuff and, and, and some of the things that maybe you think you want, but he can draw contact and he can rec- play the angles and get to the lane and yep. get to the line. I think as a third option, 
I think you'd be hard pressed to find fewer third options who you aren't who you aren't maximizing. Because like a Kevin Love, you would think of a guy being theoretically being a first or second option who isn't being maximized. And right. if he is maximized, it's probably to the team's detriment. With Tobias, I think it's sort of he's the third option, and it's the right place for him. It's the best place for him. Oh, hey, quick hypothetical then. Let's say, money aside, you swapped Kevin Love and Tobias Harris. How does that if work I'm out who? for both teams? If... For both teams. Now, does that necessarily Ooh. make Cleveland worse? And, hey, Kevin Love gets a little bit bigger role. He can still float the perimeter because Drummond's in the middle. He kind of fits and slots into that, you know, that floor space and power forward, and he gets a, a little more freedom and is a little more responsibility. I, I, will, I, will, I will probably want Cleveland to get somebody a little tougher. Not saying that Tobias is soft or anything like that. Not certainly not. Certainly not saying that. But but maybe but maybe considering that LeBron's best position is small ball four, and Tobias is more three offensively than four. Then maybe maybe that is a, a a better spot, you know. But the question, you know, also is: this is Kevin Love that type of player? Like you said, is Kevin Love really that type of guy who can be your number two option? Because if Kevin Love comes to Detroit, theoretically, he would be the number two offensive option ahead of Drummond because Ooh. Drummond isn't a back to the basket type of player. And it so who would be that, number one? You think, Reggie, you think you think Reggie would be the number one option then? Probably so because because Reggie's a scoring point guard and he's got the ball. Who's going to tell him no? That's true. That's true. <laughs> so, um, sometimes it wouldn't just come down to. All right. So so you think that Ish Smith is will 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 make a uh, satisfactory backup point guard? Uh, we both agree. I think so because I think so. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I like Ish and I like what he did in Philly. Now we get to see again. Was he a looter in the riot in Philly or can he be a quality player on a quality team? And that's going to be interesting to watch. Um, they 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 short up the they short up the interior. Uh, they got Boban and Lure, and let's not forget um, mm-hmm. Baines is there too. So they got they got some bigs to yeah, cycle yeah. through, and on any given night they got a lot of options. Um, Tobias, Marcus Morris, last season they were forty four and thirty eight, and they, hey man, I, I we can't understate enough how how big it was that they gave the Cavs everything they could handle in a sweep. That was probably the most competitive sweep I've ever seen. It sounds like uh, oxymoron, but it's true. So, no, 44, I'm a huge believer in playoff experience. A huge believer. I'm, I'm. We'll talk about that one too. All right. So, 44 and 38. What do you think this season? How do you think they turn? I'm gonna go first this time. I will let you go first. I think they're gonna end go ahead, up. Go um, they're gonna end up five games better. They, they're gonna win 49. I think they uh, now they're gonna be more comfortable with each other, uh, a little more disciplined. Another year under uh, Stan Van Gundy is gonna matter. Uh, I think Reggie's gonna make. I mean, like like you said, he's not gonna get much better than he really is. But this is where guys start honing their skills. So while he's not gonna make a huge leap, him or Drummond, they're gonna start showing you like different things and 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 being better basketball players. So I say forty nine wins. Uh, they're gonna be fifth, fourth or fifth, anywhere fourth anywhere from fourth to sixth. And they're gonna they're gonna be a tough out. I actually agree with you wholeheartedly. I think they get out of the first round this year, um, or I think that's that's the, that should be the expectation for them to get out of the first round this year. Um, and between basically forty eight and forty nine, and that four or five first round matchup with a team like the Toronto Raptors, <laughs> and, and sort of let the chips fall where they may at that point. I think Stan Van Gundy is one of the 
really good coaches in the league. Um, I I wonder, I wonder how, you know, how this goes. I, I'm not wondering about burnout or anything like that. I just I wonder, you know, the Stan Van experience. Does this will this grade on guys type of thing? Because that that's what didn't happen in. Orlando and it happened in Miami, and may, perhaps he's learned from that. But I don't think he sort of lets up, especially on a young team that doesn't that doesn't know a whole lot yet, and they're just getting experience. But I think that this is a 48-49 win team that should be that should have the expectation to get out of the first round of the playoffs. I, I my the one question I'm going to ask because everything you said is exactly spot on, and I think we saw that with Scott Skiles in his previous places before he just before he bailed on Orlando. Certain coaches they only have, they have a very short shelf life just for the way their their attitude yeah. and their personality with their players. Skiles was good for three, and you could watch the team. The team would progress, and then he'd have to go because it, pretty, it's, it seems like the teams are just like, all right, dude, we're tired of you. Tibbs, hey, th- as good as Coach Thibodeau is, I was wondering, and you can tell me better than anything, was that starting to happen with him in Chicago? As you said, he kind of didn't. He lost. I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry. You were saying that um that, that Floyd that that uh, not Floyd. Yeah, Floyd didn't have uh have Noah. Either way, Tibbs is a very hard you know hard on his guys. Did that start to wear on his guys too? So I'm wondering if that's how Stan Van Gundy is, and this is only but this is only year two of Van Gundy in Detroit, right? Year three. Oh, okay. So we're starting year three. So if that's the case, then yes, we're maybe we're getting to that point. But they also, and I don't know if you remember, him and Drummond had some weird interactions last year. Like when he he had to pull Drummond from the free throws, and Drummond would start pouting a little bit on the sidelines. So that's the kind of thing that you got to watch out for, right? Chemistry is important. People kind of underrate how important chemistry is. But um, we both agree. I think that they're a team that's you know they're a young team that's that's only going to get better. I I don't see too many negatives for them this year. Um, last team in the division, man, the Bucks. We took a while to get here, but so I think one of the most intriguing teams right up there with Chicago for the simple fact that two seasons ago they seemed to have the sky to limit. They were that team on the rise, you know, young pups. Look out here, they come. Last season, due to injuries, uh, some weird kind of fits in the roster. I, I said from the get go, I don't know why they were getting Monroe. It just was a weird fit from what they wanted to do. They wanted to be long and fast and versatile, and they got Greg Monroe for some reason. Um, so they took a step back last year. Parker and, and Giannis towards the end of the season looked individually great and their stats showed it, but you know, they missed the playoffs and that's not where they want to be. They added some youth. I wasn't hiding Thonmaker, the Thonmaker pick. He looked all right and uh he looked, you know, what they what for what they want, he looked pretty good in the summer league. I'm still not high on him. I don't know if you've been watching Delavadova and me have a have a pretty contentious relationship. He doesn't know about it, but I can't stand the guy. <laughs> Matthew, no, Delhi, that guy. Uh, thank you, man. Look, people, it's it's weird how how the cycle shifts because I mean, there's a reason he was sat in the playoffs. There's a reason. The reason was that all his, and it's weird because the same people just ignore him. He was a net negative. He was just atrocious. He hasn't been a very good player. Now he does. He did two two things very well last year. He hit spot up threes off of LeBron and whoever else's penetration. He hit those like like gangbusters for most of the year and um he was a pesky defender and he stayed out of the way so you know they platooned him in for five six seven minutes at a time and he, it worked he still wasn't a very good player now milwaukee right. signs him to be their starter they, he's the starter there and they're, they're thinking is well hey he did it with lebron james giannis is going to be our lebron james handling the ball at the small forward position so hey this should work perfectly but giannis is not lebron james 
Um, so yeah, they got Thon Maker. They brought in that kid, Malcolm Brogdon. He's a he's a skilled kid. He's not very. I don't think he has next level athleticism, but we shall see. Uh, and that's basically they didn't make a lot of moves. They lost Jared Bayless. Did they do enough to get back in the playoff hunt? I don't know. I really don't know because I saw them up close and personal two years ago in the playoffs against the Bulls in the first round, and mm-hmm. I was on record as saying before Game Six in Milwaukee. I was on record, and if you remember that series, the Bulls went up 3-0, and then the Bucks won the next two. I was of yes. the mind that if the Bucks won game six in Milwaukee, that they were going to win game seven in Chicago. Like they, I think they had figured out something. But then they got blown out at home, so I was wrong with everything else. But whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's one name you didn't mention in that. And I think this is the guy who kind of has to be the one to step forward for them. That's okay. Chris Middleton. I think oh. when you talk about three and D guys who can score, who can play make a little bit, and who can defend, I think he's right in that in that next tier when we talk about the Paul Georges and the the Jimmies and the Kawhi, like that's tier one. I think a guy like Chris Middleton is kind of creeping up in that second tier category because I think he can do so many things. Now, granted, I don't know if the scheme he's in is best for him. I don't know if the personality he's playing with is best for him. And I'm curious about making Giannis your main playmaker. Like, I have no problem with him making plays. But if he's the guy that you're going to build everything around, you know, in your your first five and say, okay, Giannis, we're going to run a lot of stuff through you on the elbows and on the mid post and we're going to mid post pinch post and we're going to say – you know, have cutters around you and Jabari and everything else. It's just a weird mix. I'm not sure if everything fits. And I'm not sure how good Jabari Parker is. Like, I know, I saw his numbers. I, I'm just not I'm, I'm For whatever reason, there's something that I'm not sure about. And perhaps it's because I didn't come in with, I didn't come in with the view of Jabari Parker that everybody else did. Sometimes we are so married to our uh, first impressions that it caused what we see. I think mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out what he is at this level. Is he a, is he a three? Mm-hmm. Is he a four? Is he athletic enough? Can he shoot well enough? You know, I don't see him being particularly special at one thing that's really going to separate him. Is he a hey. is he a tweener? What is he? Okay, real quick, real quick, Vincent. Uh, Bucks fans, it's at v goodwill all together like one word <laughs> at v goodwill on Twitter. Don't he is telling me right now, no, nah, man, they got to come for you. That I've been a victim of this many a time. All right, so I'm going to respectfully disagree with you about Jabari. Um, and it's just weird. It's been out of sight, out of mind for him, I think. But not with you, because you, you know, I, I trust your word from what you see, and I, I respect your perspective on it. So as somebody who didn't watch a lot of Jabari Parker, when I started going and, and kind of finding some tape on him, and sure, highlight films, highlight reels will be highlight reels, so obviously he didn't do this all the time, but um, I think he's more athletic than people think. I think that uh, the injury it took it takes time. And if you watch, as I know you did. You saw him in the second half of last season. The kid flashed a lot. He was averaging almost nineteen and seven yeah. from the All Star break on. You know, um, so I guess my question to you, and you've kind of already answered it. Right now, you're saying the jury is out. Like the question of can he be a franchise cornerstone? I think yes, but you you. Again, I hate that we, we keep agreeing because it's not good radio. I want to have something to yell at you about. <laughs> I I think this might not be the best fit for him 
Because just as you said, if Giannis is the guy who's going to be your 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 hub, your fulcrum, you think that Giannis is that kind of guy, you need to surround him with shooters. You need to surround him with athletic guys who could like you know run the pick and roll with him and, and dunk the ball. And then you need to get shooters out there. And and that's just such a weird fit, man. And I'm also starting to look. Jason Kidd has been riding his uh his quick success. I guess he had a little bit of success in Jersey. Uh, I'm sorry with the Nets. And then, um, you know, he came over and the Bucks made the playoffs. I, I'm i going to put this to you as, as 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 somebody who would know. How do you view him? We just we both said this. There's like, you know, five or six really good coaches, five or six bad coaches, and then all the rest are in the middle. At one point, Jason Kidd was being talked about as one of the good young minds, right? He's a great point guard. He has that coach on the floor. And how do you rate him as a coach right now? That is I don't think he's one of the I think I think he's growing. And I, I think because I, I think sometimes when you're a coach who has some personality, I think sometimes one gets in the way of the other. Or one can mm. get in the way of the other. Not that necessarily it yes. has. Um but like I wasn't a fan of Michael Carter Williams. You know, I, I just never not as a leader. And your point guard almost has to be a leader unless he's a stone-cold killer like a guy like Kyrie. But he right. always seemed like he put up really good numbers, but I never really felt like guys were with him. Yes, and I, I, I still don't believe I still don't believe that. And I think when you look at Giannis, I think you always look at a guy like that and you say, man, he can do so much. The problem right. sometimes is you force him to do everything. And I think he's one of those guys who's a little bit better off where you're wondering, man, can he do, can he, can, you know, wonder what else can he do as opposed to him being a little overexposed. Or even better, and I, I think rather, that with Giannis, I think with Giannis, even better, I think it's, yeah, sure, if you needed him to, he could do everything. Let's get him to focus on one or two things and become really good at those and find other players to do those other things because it's not, you just, it's not always good to have a guy who can do everything, do everything. What they call it, jack of all trades, jack of all trades, master of none. Sometimes that's yeah. not a good thing, unless you're unless you're LeBron James, who you're so good at everything that sure you you're actually the master of a lot of things. And we've already said it; he's not LeBron James. So I, I I like where you're going with this. So yeah, with that, and now and now you're wondering, you know, I think Jason will be better off with a with a regular point guard. You know, yes. with a, a a floor, you know, a table setting, uh, you know, a table setting point guard. I think he'd be much. I think he'd be much better off uh, with that, because, like you said, it seems like the roster construction leads you in going to different directions. Like, I, I'm not sure if Jabari Parker, even though I'm not sure if Jabari Parker is a number one guy. I'm not saying he's trash. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I think he could be better right. off as a as a two or a three on a good team where you're not putting everything on them. And sometimes you got too many twos and threes with, and you're not really putting the, the pecking order there because there's not a defined right. one. And your, your two, there isn't really much separation between them for you to really define who's the second guy, who's the third guy. Like those, those type of things matter. Like you may not think they matter on the floor, but they really do matter, you know, especially when it comes to, okay, who are we looking to? And what do you do best? So and, and that's where if you have a bunch of twos and you have a bunch of threes, and I don't mean shooting guards and small fours, I just mean in priorities. Right. If you got twos and threes, mm-hmm. you need a you need a good point guard 
to at least be able to, to keep read up. the game on a night-to-night basis and keep a firm hand. Like, Jason Kidd would be the perfect point guard for this team, except he's Yes. Coach. And you need more shooters still, but yes, yes. I, I dig it, man. Yeah. yeah I really do. dig it. And so, you know what? It's funny. Let's let's this. I'm gonna let you play GM because I was on the opposite side about Michael Carter Williams for the simple fact that I said, you know what, Jason Kill, Jason Kidd was a do-it-all point guard who could rebound, who could you know defend, and was a great passer and didn't have a jump shot. He could take Michael Carter Williams and mold him into something. That was my thought when they got Michael Carter Williams. It obviously hasn't panned out that way. So now they got two players that just kind of don't fit: Greg Monroe. Who uh, I think that he's owed like 18 million, uh, 17, 18 million for the next two years, player option next summer. And Michael Carter Williams is still on his rookie deal, but they got him for like two more years. You're the GM. What do you do? What kind of deals are you looking to make? And and look, I'm thinking even if they might get, you know, 75 to try to get some value out of Greg Monroe because he can opt out next summer. So you're the I want you to play GM and you got like a week. You can, you can make a few moves. What are these the guys? Are these the guys you look to move? And if not, what are you, what are you trying to do? I'm not in a huge rush to move Greg, and I'll okay. tell you why. And 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 it's a little weird because back to the basket centers who can't shoot and don't defend the rim are becoming antiquated as far as being your starting center. Like think of a guy like Jao Okafor, almost almost in a sort of a similar, if not exact, sort of situation. It doesn't right. mean that they don't have value. It just means that you've got to put a rim protector next to them and that they have to play four instead of five. I think you can play Monroe at four instead of five and be okay. The problem is you already got Giannis. You already got Middleton. Right. You already got Parker. So so, so maybe if you if if he's okay with coming off the bench and he's not going to make us think and, and he's, not, he's never been that type of guy and you're going to give him minutes. I wouldn't consider that as huge of a problem. Point guard, you can't get point guard wrong. You cannot – I don't think you can afford to get point guard wrong in this league or at least young point guard wrong. I would try to rectify that situation more so than I would try to rectify a Greg Monroe because Monroe's not going to be a problem. Even if he's not happy, even if you can't utilize him right, you know, you got to think this is a guy who took the qualifying offer in Detroit and had to deal with a lot of stuff there, and he was still a professional right. throughout of it. You know what I'm saying? So I don't necessarily worry about that guy in my locker room or even on the floor because he's going to give you 15-9 and nine or whatever, despite whatever his thing is. I just don't know if Michael Carter-Williams, as a point guard, you can't give me empty numbers and not have an effect on winning. I can have empty numbers in other places. I can't have empty numbers at point guard. So yes or no about Michael Carter-Williams? Is, is he an NBA player? Yeah, he's an NBA player, but I think it's one of those things where how he hmm, – that's a great question because I consider a point guard so important, so important. Okay, well, but he's 6'8". He's like the fifth his, his player. Question. Huh? He's 6'8", he's six, right? 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, Can you – could some coach say, hey, Mike, we're going to move you to small forward? And could that work? I mean, that's the thing. So it sounds like you're not – and like, I understand exactly why. He's too light. Okay, okay. I think, too, I think he's too light. I think he's too light. He, so he's not like so a John Livingston, six seven or something like that, where you can play him at one, uh, two, or three. I, I, I think he's basically a point guard, and I don't. Uh, I think he's got to mature some, you know, probably physically and other and other place. And you know, what I'm saying as far as running the team, I just don't know if I'm trying to win. 
if I'm trying to win right now, then I don't I I wouldn't want him preventing me from winning. Now if I got a couple years to wait and see what he can turn into, maybe so, but I don't think the Bucks are trying to quote unquote wait and see. I think they're trying to at least make the playoffs and start making steps toward contention. And so I'm gonna have to ask the tough questions here. Yes or no? Is Michael Carter Williams an NBA player? Yeah, he's an NBA player. Yeah, yeah. He's okay. An NBA player. All right. That was that was anticlimactic, Dan. If that was the answer, you already knew what you wanted to say. All right. So uh last year they went 33 and 49. Uh missed the playoffs, obviously. They had some injury issues too, I guess, but for the most part, I mean they they weren't a very good team even when they were healthy. So um, so talk about it. Do they do they get back into it? What do they do? How do you think they how do you think they do this season? I don't think they make the playoffs. I still mm. think they're sort of middling. I think they're mm. maybe a 35-win team unless something changes. I'm just, they just have to show me. Like, if they made the playoffs, would I be shocked? No, I think they're one of those teams that can not finish anywhere from 4 to 10, but can finish anywhere from 7 to 10 type of thing or 8 okay, to Buck, 10. Buck, so, Bucks fans, that's Bucks bright. fans. Bucks fans, that's at V Goodwill, just like it sounds. You, you know, uh, at V Goodwill. My block button. You guys make sure you. My block button. <laughs> I think they get back in, man. I think they get it together. I think that uh, with the full training camp, I think Jabari's going to come back strong. Um, we're going to see the Jabari and the Giannis we saw post All Star break for the full season. I'm with you. And again, Bucks fans, I apologize. Chris Milton should have been one of the first words out of my mouth. I love the kid. I think. You know, after the top point guards, which are, you know, I said Harden, Butler, and then you got Clay. I got Middleton right there below them. Yes, Wade is a, a, a you know, all star, and he can do more with the ball, but he's aging. Milton is like right there, a step below, like you know, a full step, but still, he's below those guys. But I think he's an excellent player. Any team would love to have Chris Milton. He's the, the guy. I mean, I saw he played some power forward for you know, the last couple of years. They slide him in power forward sometimes incredible young talent can hit the three can defend um so yeah i think they get it together this season i don't the only thing that's making me really hesitate is the Della Vadova thing because i just don't <laughs> i don't think you can look and it's some of his biases i think he's a dirty player I, I i don't like the it's just baffling the love for him right now but i mean honestly and trying to be objective looking at the numbers he's not a very he wasn't a very good player last couple of years he wasn't pest no, sometimes but no. yeah Go ahead. No, 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 no. He, he, I, I think what happens is sometimes, just like guys who play with Michael Jordan, you, you think they're better than what they really are because they're playing next to Michael Jordan and, and they probably get the benefit of the doubt from opponents, from the referees, from the league. I don't think that he's going to have that shroud over him anymore where, the benefit, where he's not going to get the benefit of the doubt. Where you go run into somebody's ankles, you might catch an elbow to the mouth. Like – like, I just, I, you know, I don't know if that stuff is going to fly now. Like, you don't have, you don't have, you don't have the big, bad LeBron, not that he's, you know, this tough guy or anything like that, but you, you won't have the benefit of the doubt. And you try that stuff and people are going to be looking out for you and the refs are going to be looking out for you. And there's no incentive to give him the benefit of the doubt anymore. It's not like the Bucks are relevant on that level in terms of, you know, the, the NBA hierarchy. So I would be curious to see how that type of stuff, plays around the league and plays with the officials. I, I'm very curious. I'm, I mean, good for you. Get your money. 
don't get me wrong. Get get every dollar you can, but save every dollar you can too. Exactly. Look, man. I, again, he had two. I I don't think I even mentioned the other skill was throwing that lob to Tristan Thompson or LeBron James in the pick and roll. He became very adept at coming off that screen. And when everybody is, it was the most amazing thing to me that that teams were still worried about him on that screen and doubling him and leaving Tristan Thompson and LeBron James open at the rim. I I don't get how when people say the NBA is rigged, I think they're crazy. But I say stuff like that, and I wonder, hmm. Somehow Delvadova is still <laughs> turning the corner and throwing the oop. What's going on here? Now, nah, of course, league's not rigged, but um, yeah, I, 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 hey, for 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 the sake of Bucks fans, I hope that I'm wrong and he becomes a serviceable player and he, you know, maintains and somehow can play 25 quarter minutes a night. From what I've seen and because of my passionate just hate of that little jerk, I hope that he he flames out and is on the, is benched by game 30. <laughs> so he might be. He might be. I mean, Honestly, might, it might. It, the, the experience might be over by by then. You might be having buyers or more in the preseason. All right. You know what, man? Right now, the Olympics people are killing me because he's playing so well in the Olympics. And I keep saying, uh, Andrew Gaze was an Australian who averaged like twenty-one points a game, and all this FIBA playing couldn't even stick on the NBA roster for more than like twenty games. So don't get out. You no, know, miss me with that. Oh, look how great he's playing in the Olympics. He's gonna be great. Carlo, hey, what's my man's name? It's uh, a different Juan. game. It's a, di- it's a different game. It's a different game. I think Carlos Arroyo gave U.S. or or one of those kids, Jason oh, yeah. Navarro, one of those oh, kids yeah. gave, gave U.S. Yeah, the Puerto Rican kid. He gave he gave U.S. like twenty four points when they beat the U.S. Hey, in two thousand. Carlos Arroyo gave, gave the U.S. Carlos Arroyo in two thousand four. Yes, Arroyo. Yo, gave so I mean, I have enough evidence that Delavadova Del sucks. I don't need anybody to tell me anything else. <laughs> um, hey man. <laughs> I, you know what? Again, I appreciate you. Look, somehow I keep doing this. I did the same thing to um uh to my man who came on last. What's wrong with me right now? Oh, uh, Marcus Thompson. Uh, Marcus Thompson of uh, oh yeah, 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 from yeah. Golden State guy. Same, hey, he's a, hey, I can, yeah. he's a, he's a, hey man, I can give you. He's, I can give you forty five. So I appreciate it, bro. We sat out here for a whole, we sat out here for two hours, and me and you just did the same thing. I asked you for <laughs> an hour. I appreciate you not. I appreciate that you didn't just hang up after an hour. I appreciate you sticking around with me and and listening to my nonsense. No, I, no I problem, really appreciate man. Um. So yeah, no, man. It was we, fun, we, it was we, fun we, man. Just don't, just don't, just don't have. They, let people know that my black hand is strong. That's all you gotta let them know. Just let them know <laughs> my black hand is strong. So don't come with any nonsense. No, nah, man. It's all. Hey, you you were fantastic, man. And like I said, I'm looking forward to having you on again during the season. We'll, we'll talk some Chicago. Um. I got I got a bad feeling about Chicago, but let's let's hope. Knocking on wood, for, I'm I'm a little more optimistic than you. For all the fans, I want good. I don't have a good feeling about it. But yeah, we'll talk about Chicago and we'll talk about a couple other things uh, during the season, man. You got anything that you that you're working on? Anything coming down the pipeline that you want to you want to talk about? Anything for people to look out nothing for? Nothing I want to talk about. <laughs> 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 nothing I want to talk about. No, no, no. I'm, I'm look, man. I'm about to start my off. I'm about to start my off season and take a little bit of time and try to rest, you know, before training camp and everything else begins because the NBA doesn't have off season anymore. So right, right. I'm going to go to sleep for a couple of weeks and and let the Bears and the Cubs and everybody else and let you forget about the Bulls for a minute and then late September we're going to get back at it. Well, my man, if you're about to take some um, rest of vacation, you, you picked a, a hell of a way to go out. I appreciate you coming on and talking with me. Um, everyone, you can find my man, Vincent Goodwill. Check him out on Twitter. 
at V Goodwill, G-O-O-D-W-I-L-L. And you can read my man, the, the good stuff he writes over at CSNChicago.com. Am I right there? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. I don't want to. I just don't want to misspeak and send somebody through a bad link and they get virus and they yell at me. Um, my man, <laughs> thanks for having. Hey, thanks for coming on, and I'm gonna catch up with you later on. Hey, man, appreciate being on, man. All right, my brother. Take care. Man, we keep doing these monster podcasts. I don't mean to, man. We just get into it, and you know, sorry guys. Um, I'm not sorry at all it's fun i love talking to these guys about basketball you know i love i love picking their brains and hearing their takes whether they're like mine or not like mine i, just, I, I love the fact that i especially love the fact that a lot of times we agree and it's not me sucking up you guys people who follow me on social media and talk to me in real life you know how I, my stance on things so it's a good feeling when professionals you know guys who are a lot more tuned in than me more locked into me can can feedback that same kind of stuff and i i know that at least i'm not i'm not crazy and i'm not just i'm not just out there in left field so um really good stuff man um man i, I can't believe he's not as high as jabari man especially being a you know he covers chicago he probably has a pretty good feel for what jabari park can do but hey hey i could I, I, again I, for somebody i respect i'm not even going to belittle it or question it my man has his stance on it i love his thoughts on al horf uh al horford Al Jefferson in uh, in Indiana because I think it's a fantastic move and relatively ten million is not a lot of money, so that's a you know if you you got a quality backup power forward who can you know be a spot starter if you need to certain situations put him in there let him go for twenty five minutes and the, the man will give you twenty five points you can't beat that uh, for ten million dollars a year off the bench um, yeah and the Bulls man <sighs> for Hoiberg's sake I hope he he has the uh, uses the experience from last year and comes back smarter and more in control of the locker room. You know, that, that Jimmy Butler comment to the media was pretty damning about it needs a coach that's harder. You'll never, you never want to hear that from your star about your new coach, but it happened. Um, and my bad, man. I mean, I was supposed to talk to Vince on air about, you know, whatever we were talking about there, but up and it's already way too long. I know you probably hear tired of hearing my voice already. Um, so man, let's see who we got left, man. We we knocked out we knocked out a lot so far on these uh this is podcast number four in the series. We uh we already knocked out knocked out the central, we knocked out the southeast, we knocked out the Pacific, and we knocked out the southwest. So we got two big ones left, the northwest, uh, and we're going to cover the Atlantic. That's what we got left. So um, for uh, I think my man Mark Lamont Hill uh, is going to talk repping Philly. He's going to come on and talk my Atlantic and Tony Jones repping the well, not repping the Utah Jazz. I think he came up a Knicks fan, if I remember right. But uh, the Salt Lake City Tribune, Tribune the Salt Lake City Tribune, he's going to come on and, and he's going to he's going to be my my Northwest representative. So that's good, man. We only got two left in the series. Um, you guys listen to them in order and have fun. I appreciate you guys coming on in the time listening. Um, that's it. I'm just blabbering. I don't know why. I'm tired. It's been a long show. But, uh, yeah, I'm James Hollis. Check me out on bballbreakdown.com. Follow me on Twitter, at Snotty Drippin', and I'm out. Um.